This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, engineering specialists for the global energy sectors. Decades of hands-on marine experience have given them deep industry insight and first-hand understanding of challenges faced on the back deck. Every MDL system is designed with ultimate portability in mind to optimise transit, speed up mobilisations and minimise idle times. Because time really is money in the energy business. If you've been looking for a flex slave partner who can tailor a solution to your requirements, look no further than MaritimeDevelopments.com. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 42 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, is Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele Gents. How's it going? Very well, thank you. I know last week I tweeted an apology for our impromptu singing during or before the Lee Miller interview, but we are staying up, say, we are staying up. We are staying All good here in the say. Yeah, hey, listen. We've got a win to talk about. I feel like it's been a long time since the three of us were on a pod to talk about a win. Absolutely. Normally, I'm saying, oh, it's just copy and paste, rehash an old episode. But I think we might actually have to come up with something something new here. So I'm quite looking forward to I feel like in a lot of ways, it is going to be a copy and paste episode with just the except from the other team were too shit to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Hey, listen, we need to celebrate. So here we go. There we go. To our continued life in the SPFL. Now, boys... Somebody shared this with me during the week. Um, I believe that in order for us to be kind of taken more seriously at this lark, one of us has to ask Fars Matty Kennedy. So does anybody want to take up that particular challenge just right now? I don't really want Nobody is. Gavin's too posh, so maybe it has to be you. I was going to say that sounds more like the vernacular of someone who's a bit bucky these days. Yeah, I agree. That is... Probably accurate, but possibly offensive. So what do I just have to ask Fars Matty Kennedy? I believe that's all we need to do now to be accepted. Okay, well then, Fars Matty Kennedy. In a in a box, I think, at Pataudry on Saturday, is from what I saw, but there we go. In a week that saw Jet living his best life in Dubai, courtesy of his payday from the Dons, hanging out with Anthony Joshua today, I saw, playing head tennis. Didn't see that coming at the start of the season, I'm not going to lie that saw Calvin Bassey robbed of the under-14s Player of the Year award at Sevco, that saw Mark McGee fail to end the week naked once again, and that saw nice guy Richard Ricky Foster picking a fight with his own fans. It's another busy episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as we take a look back at our 1-0 win over Dundee on Saturday and we preview our SPFL Premiership trip to Edinburgh as we face Hibs at Easter Road. We take our regular look at our loanies and loan watch for the last time this season and we'll check in with our young team and after the break it's fair to say boys we're pretty pretty pleased with this one thrilled to bring you all part one of our interview with a true Don's legend a man who signed for his boyhood heroes in February 1979 going on to score 89 goals in 363 appearances for the club including most famously of all the winning goals in the quarterfinal and the final of our triumphant run in the European Cup Winners Cup in 1983 He's waiting in the middle. It's John Hewitt. But 
first. Aberdeen won. Dundee nil. Saturday, 30th of April, 2022. The SPFL, Gav, Premiership, Petaudry Stadium. Two changes for the Dons from last week's horror show against Livingston. Funzo, King, Ojo dropping to the bench. Ross McCrory suspended, which saw Jim Goodwin bring back Calvin Ramsey and Christian Ramirez into the starting lineup with Dylan McGeeck and the lesser spotted Adam Montgomery also returning to the bench. The Dons nearly off to the most extraordinary of starts, one that Gav and Graham missed Ramirez's kickoff to Ferguson, who smashed a shot goalwards that had Sharp struggling in the ball, only just sailed over the top of the bar. I can't speak for Graham, but the pies were worth it for me. Pies were good yesterday. Yeah, yeah, same. We were queuing up for nourishment. <laughs> and I'll be honest, when I heard the, the roars, oh, fuck's sake, have we shipped one already? And then I was like, no, no, actually, I think that's coming from our end. So, uh, yeah, I missed it, but never mind. I've seen the highlights, though. If it was on target, was it? If it had been... Is that not generally how it works? <laughs> if it was on target, it was... I know, but from the halfway line, you'd generally expect the keeper probably to have a chance of saving it. If it had been on target, the keeper wasn't saving it. But yes, you are right. That is generally how it works. <laughs> I wish someone told us earlier in the season. And hey, look, uh, a bright opening 10 minutes for the Dons who looked up for the challenge of notching only a second league win of 2022 with Ferguson and Ramirez going close before Dundee began to get a foothold. In the game, McGee should have done better with a free header from a corner before Drew Lewis was called into action to smother a McGowan effort from eight yards. The Dons skipper then had to produce a fine save to deny Mullen as he pickpocketed Ferguson and his effort was brilliantly fingertipped over the bar. McMullen should have scored on 19 minutes, but his effort was well stopped once again by Lewis. The Dons finally roused themselves, a barren effort from 25 yards, pushed around the post by Sharp before Bajowin found his way into Willie Colm's book, penalised for a foul on Charlie Adam that the rotund, buck-toothed, drink-driving Muppet made the absolute most of. Ferguson and Barron with efforts again from 25 yards as the first half petered out as the Dons started to build some momentum into the second half and it was Willie Collum in the spotlight once again. There's a shock. A lovely ball from Christian Ramirez into the path of Jack McKenzie and it seemed clear to everyone in the stadium that Cammy Kerr had taken his legs away. Gav, talk to us about Cammy Kerr. Young Cameron? Yeah. What do you want me to tell you about? I don't know, just, you know, what are your thoughts on young Cammy? You know what, actually, he played well, actually, on the weekend. I'm not going to lie. Oh. I, thought was, I thought he was okay. <laughs> um, one of the... Yeah, I thought him going off. I mean, I think I guess it was a tactical change, but yeah, some of them. I thought it was a bit of a strange one, and but probably not the strangest decision that Mark McGee made on Saturday. But we'll come to that later, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Uh, but yeah, it looked pretty clear to everybody in the stadium, even from the red shed. It looked like it was probably a penalty kick. But here's a shock for you: Willie Collum decided there was nothing to see here and uh, awarded. Uh, I think we got a corner actually out of that one, didn't we? Bajowin then going agonizingly close on 51 minutes after some good build-up play between Watkins. And Ramirez, with the wee Dutchman's shot, drifting just wide of the left-hand post of the keeper. Charlie Adam waddled off the pitch on 52 minutes, much to his chagrin, although presumably it meant he could get tucked into his post-match recovery meal quicker than he'd anticipated, so he's probably secretly quite pleased about that. Dundee nearly grabbing the opener through on 53 minutes. McGinn's corner found Sweeney, and his header was cleared off the line by Calvin Ramsey. The Dons should have taken the lead on 65 minutes. Ramirez's effort well stopped by Sharp, but you can't help but think that a striker full of confidence probably finishes that one off. As it was, that was Ramirez's last involvement as he was subbed off 
for Teddy Jenks, the American not best pleased with that one. Nearly as upset as he was on Wednesday evening on Twitter, except this time it was a drinks holder that got the brunt of his frustrations. The Don still finally grabbed the goal that the 13 plus thousand in the ground allegedly had been craving. A fine run from Johnny Hayes of old saw him brought down by Marshall in the box and Lewis Ferguson dispatched his penalty kick straight down the middle. Hayes replaced by Montgomery on 77 minutes. Dundee should have levelled things up again in the final 10 minutes, both from set pieces, free headers for Mulligan and for Sweeney. Mulligan's cleared off the line this time by Galka, the other one bouncing down and over the bar, but the Dons managed to hold on for the win. A vital, vital three points made even more pertinent with the news that St Mirren had beaten St Johnston. The Dons remain in ninth spot, but we are now eight points clear of the playoff position with three games to play. Gents, your thoughts? Well, first and foremost, three points. That was absolutely crucial and massive considering just the the state of the season and where we were sitting in the table prior to kickoff. So delighted with that. Um, you know, I've said before, I'm more concerned about the results rather than the performance. And, the, and yesterday was just get it done. It doesn't really matter how you do it. That said, I still don't feel we're really a team that has an identity as such. It's not really clear to me what we're trying to accomplish in terms of how we're going to set up and how we're going to to play. Uh, I'm kind of willing to maybe just set that to the side at this stage because the man just come in, maybe he doesn't have the players he wants to implement his ideas on the pitch. So maybe just accept that this season... You know, we, we maybe we can pick up another win or whatever, but we can limp over the line and feeling a lot happier with that eight-point cushion than where we were before. I just want to say this. We're recording this live, um, obviously, Sunday evening. We've made it, boys. We've made it. We've been included in the Old Firm Facts this week in Scottish Football Patter, Volume 36. Oh, excellent. We're in. We've made, I don't know, that's like Scottish Football social media royalty i feel i'm i'm humbled, humbled if i had one. a linkedin that would be going on my linkedin it might go on my cv <laughs> definitely it's happening it's, it's got it's got to go on the twitter bio at the very least absolutely um adam miller thank you very much yeah definitely we'll take that on any day of the week uh gareth sorry we, we digress a little bit but uh, i thought it was worth it oh, i mean absolutely I mean, we can just call it a day now you know i have my notes here let's see um <laughs> i am um, feel bad I always have to I've made a point of making Jim Goodwin's record of mentioning yes. it it's mm-hmm. uh, it's now two wins four defeats and three draws under Jim Goodwin to date um I have it noted down that um you know there were a couple of uncomfortable moments in the first half in particular where we continue to play ourselves into danger um thankfully we were able to call upon Joe Lewis of yesteryear really stepped up and it was a much more like the Joe Lewis we know, uh, particularly that save from from Danny Mullen in the first half when the ball was going in the top corner. Great save from Lewis. Yeah, top save. I watched the initial, the debut preview of Ali Beggs' um, new channel. And when he was talking with Graham Hunter, they talked about bravery in terms of taking the ball and looking for, looking to be an option. And I think... In particular, Lewis Ferguson, Connor Barron, Johnny Hayes, and Jack McKenzie really stepped up yesterday. I think there were one or two that shied away or wanted rid of the ball as quickly as they got it, but those guys in particular, I thought, really led us 
through this game and into the victory. I think we'll make special mention of Jack McKenzie later on, I'm sure. I've got a Willie Collum question mark, but you know what? Not even close to the worst performance from a referee I've seen at McAudrey, so I'm just going to skim, no, we skim over it. it. It's kind of like, he's kind of like Aberdeen in many ways, you know, he's just not the worst. Nothing to do with his ability, he's just not the worst, quite simply. Um, credit to Lewis Ferguson, under pressure for the penalty, as he's done so many times. And yeah, we will be in the top flight once more next season to continue to be an irrelevance for Rangers fans, even though they pile in on Aberdeen Twitter pages. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that Muppet, eh? That, that one last night. What a fucking absolute lunatic. Just Graham, it, the, These are the moments I envy you for not looking at the Twitter page, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, just, you know, I, I, even this bomber isn't really helping to try and soothe the memory of that from last night. But um, yeah, back on yesterday, uh, first half performance. Let's, I mean, Jesus, like, I think as well on that, the screen grabs something that somebody sent me from, from that forum um, reviewing us this week. There was there was chat about how negative we are. Sorry, guys. Um, if anybody can find positives to take out of this season, um, you, you're all you're well up for it. I mean, I, I really struggled to find many. I'll go back and look at episode two. I was pretty positive in that one, as I recall. Um, didn't really think at that point we'd be toasting a 1-0 victory against Dundee in the last weekend or the first weekend, the last weekend of April, first weekend of May to keep our top flight status secure. But hey, there we go. These things happen. That first half performance yesterday, though, was, in a word, minging. It was not vintage. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't very good, was it? It was almost sort of refund worthy. <laughs> I think it's what, Graham, you and I talked about it during the first half, actually, thought it was like, you could see that, all the pressure was on us. Um, the 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 crowd, you know, we we have to win. Dundee kind of played with a bit of freedom about them in the sense of it was a bit of a free hit, it felt for Dundee yesterday. They're 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 down anyway. If they get a win yesterday, then okay, great. That maybe gives them a bit of a spark. But you know, they kind of played with a bit of freedom, and it was kind of almost embarrassing that after again a, a decent opening five or ten minutes that we allowed ourselves to be pinned back by a team who are as frankly woeful as Dundee are. Woeful and pinned back by a team. I was listening to you know, your, your chat with Ethan or it was a Gav's chat with Ethan about basically a team that likes to cede possession yeah. and invite, you know, and sort of try and counter. There's not a team that dominates the ball and the opposition yet somehow managed to do that to us. You know, it's not a great look and that's where it kind of goes back to, I don't really see what this Aberdeen team under Goodwin is actually going to be. But I'm willing to just kind of take the view that we'll get a feel for that next season once he's got time to work with the guys that he wants to keep and he's got his guys in. And I'm hoping we'll see some sort of identity because, you know, if you're, if you're basically getting overrun by the team mm. that is cut off at the bottom and isn't known for dominating games, something's just fundamentally wrong. Uh, that you know the, that that said, we did come through in the end. But I, I know at first, a half time, okay, we're, we're in it. We haven't done anything, or they haven't capitalised on any of the chances that they created. But at the same time, I was kind of looking at it and wasn't really seeing where we were really going to get anything from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we had a lot of long-range efforts, um, particularly from Connor Barron. Yeah, Barron had a couple. Ferguson had one, I think. The first half, yeah. I think Ferguson had a pretty 
woeful effort that went way into the red shed from what I recall. It was a, a Lewis Ferguson trademark off balance on his weaker foot and decided to still have a hit. Having done quite well initially. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. It's a little bit um, frustrating that, yeah, there's a couple of times where he does that because he has the ability to go past people and then you just sort of look, look, there's an easy path for you. Um, but I guess he maybe, I mean, but then maybe that's, we're, we're criticizing people for maybe not taking responsibility and maybe shying away. Maybe that's the other way around. There's a guy who's almost trying to do too much at times. I think it's definitely probably an argument about that. Definitely. Yeah. But it was not a surprise at all that if we were going to get a goal, it would come from a penalty kick. Um, nah, because, yeah, we don't look capable either from open play or either even really from set pieces uh, capable of scoring right now. And that's uh, concerning. And I'm sure that's something that Goodwin will look to rectify in the summer. Well, definitely. Because if you look on the balance of play in terms of pure, you know, what you would class as being good chances yesterday, Dundee, for me, Dundee could have had probably five yesterday and we couldn't be complaining about them. Uh, there was the two efforts in the first half that Lewis saves well. They have two headers cleared off the line second half and then they have a free header from a corner kick as well that the guy should have done a lot better with as well. We could have easily conceded four or five yesterday. Um, Joe Lewis, uh, I was going to go on to Joe later on, but maybe it's the pertinent time to do it now, just based on that. It's a first clean sheet in the league this season. Only a second, uh, sorry, a first clean sheet in the league this year, sorry. Um, only a second this year after the Edinburgh City game. It felt to me that that was Joe Lewis back to his very best yesterday. I would say so. I think... Obviously, everyone earns the, the clean sheet, but I feel, I feel like he earned quite a chunk of that himself with making some great saves. And right, uh, you know, defenders bailed him out a couple of times with um, doing their jobs by clearing the ball off the line. So it was a little bit better as a unit. But yeah, I, I was pleased to see Lewis back to the Joe Lewis that we all know was always there this season. We just, you know, for whatever reason, he, he's not really produced the goods week in, week out like he pretty much has done all the time he's been here. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of almost balanced out this season, you know, the number of goals. And again, I think we've said it for a while now since maybe the beginning of the season. I don't think Joe Lewis has really been shipping them goals no. that he shouldn't be conceding. And yeah, like Graham says, I mean, it's not always going to be possible. It was nice for the defense and the team to be actually bailing him out in these situations, such as the... Uh, the two headers cleared off the line. But um, yeah, I think Joe Lewis can be very, very happy with his performance on Saturday. Yeah, he earned his clean sheet bonus. has not been enough of them for slipping into Joe's bank account this season, I imagine. So um, just in terms of actually the initial team selection as well yesterday, we set up in a 4-4 back in two, um, which was good because Jim had his Geely on as well. So that all that all played into the, the stereotype, which was nice. Um, what did you think about the initial team selection and the, the, the way we set up? first half I think the selection was probably okay I'm not really sure what else he could have done when you look at the bench we've said you know Jenks I actually don't mind him but I don't I don't always necessarily know what what does he come on to do so I probably wouldn't have started him I'd forgotten all about Montgomery and the fact that he's presumably only now fit enough for the bench he's obviously not going to start McGee always injured I don't particularly care for him so I'm not <laughs> I, I, I don't particularly care for him I don't think he's offers that much to the team. Um, so of of his options, I'm not really sure what he could have done other than put that eleven out. If I'm perfectly honest, maybe the way they were set up, maybe a little bit. I don't know defensive, considering that I thought we were at home to the team at the bottom and we needed to win. Didn't really feel we were taking the game to Dundee the way I maybe would have liked to see. 
And I think he could have probably done that with the guys that he had out on the pitch, but maybe he just felt don't do anything daft because we have been prone to doing that was the way to go. Jim Goodwin's mantra since he's come into the club has been he's simply going to pick his best 11 that's available to him. So it didn't surprise me that that was the selection he went with. I'm going to be a little bit more diplomatic with regards to Dylan McGeek and say that I think he's a decent player. But at this point of the game, I'm not having him anywhere near the team if that means Connor Barron drops out. I think that would be the, the lick for like change. So I think Dylan McGeek's time is up. I suspect he's just on the bench for an emergency situation. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty much, yeah, all we could do. I think the only other change I could possibly maybe looked at was maybe uh, Montgomery or a Jenks for Ramirez, but he went with his lineup and that's, uh, yeah, I can see why he did so. I think in a weird way, Graham, you're right. Like, I think when we set out with 4-4 back in two, that it was designed to be more attacking. It was the idea was obviously trying to get Ramirez and Watkins playing together with Delivery coming in from the wide areas, getting the ball up to Bajau and getting the ball out to Hayes, allowing the, as well the overlapping fullbacks to come over the top of them. And we kind of did it for five or ten minutes in the first half. The big issue I thought with the system then started to come to the fourth, though, was the fact that it was giving Charlie Adam way too much space in the centre of the park and allowing him to kind of get a foothold in the game. It's from there that Dundee started to to dominate the game um, in that middle section of the first half. And that was the bit I was kind of the most surprised about, I think, with the way that we decided to set up. Because from my perspective, I, I would have looked at <clears throat> Dundee and gone, the only guy in there that really makes them tick is Adam. And therefore, what we should be doing is basically having somebody just follow him around for the entire time he's on the park. Not try to foul him or anything like that, but somebody with just some energy not give him any time or space on the ball, hassle him, you know, and, and that was the bit I was kind of surprised that we decided to, to to move away from a formation that would have allowed us to do that. Perhaps with a with McCrory being out, I think McCrory would have been the best fit for that role had McCrory been available well, when he wasn't. I was kind of surprised that Ojo wasn't put in to, to play that role purely because of the fact he's got the energy to, to do that. Um, and you saw it in the first half that the way we set up was allowing Adam to pick up pockets of space and dictate the game the Watkins and Ramirez thing first half also didn't work at all um it was difficult for me to try and work out at, at times at least the Watkins was almost playing further forward and Ramirez was dropping in deep it just didn't it didn't click it didn't work for whatever reason um certainly first half anyway a, a very I don't know it just it didn't work for me it didn't it, first half especially didn't work for me in terms of the the, the way we were set up yeah I think if McCrory was available, he would have probably been doing that role. I think if we'd gone into a game like yesterday and dropped out a striker to put Funzo Ojo in the team, we kind of wondering about what are we looking to do here? Are we looking to dominate the game? Are we looking to contain the bottom team in the league? I think there's Ojo's been largely woeful in Sermon Field since he's been at Aberdeen, if we're being frank. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing about that at all. No, I just think in terms of what you're looking to try and do yesterday potentially to nullify the one threat that Dundee really have. No, I was, I was okay with the, with the setup personally, but it, I think you're right. They did allow Charlie Adam to get the space that he's had, yeah. you know, in most games we've played and we can thank Martin McGee for the fact that his time on the pitch was very short lived actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I would back the manager to be taking a more 
attacking approach, which I think was the intention with playing the two strikers up front. I think it was. I think he could have done both, though. I think he could have played. I think if you wanted to try and do what I'm suggesting, I don't think we'd have been a bad shout. You make a call about whether you play Jack McKenzie or Johnny Hayes at left back, and then you slot Marley Watkins into the left hand side of the front three. Put Ramirez back in as the nine, and then slot Ojo just as a straight replacement for McCrory. Um, or even maybe even like a Teddy Jenks, maybe it doesn't have to be Ojo, it could have been Teddy Jenks, it could have been probably not McGeeck, but you could maybe put McGeeck in and said to Connor Barron, you follow Adam around for the for the game. I don't know. There were options there. I just felt that the system, while we were trying to be on the front foot, it kind of almost it, it left us exposed quite badly on, on, on a few occasions in that in, in that first half. We kind of seemed to sort it out second half I don't know how much of that was just due to the fact that Adam got hooked after 52 minutes yeah considering fresh in the memory was a sort of half hour cameo where he came on and changed the game and his performance in October but I mean he's basically dominated yeah the Aberdeen teams he has played this season it did seem a little bit negligent to kind of give him free reign I didn't get punished for it but I absolutely I'm surprised that we didn't try and just nullify him and yeah that doesn't have to be booting him up in the air but just someone shutting him down every time so he's got to hurry his passes or more importantly just marking him up so he's not actually available to receive yeah exactly the ball. and then Dundee just have to try and play another way which would probably have just been shelling it yeah. which would have you know that would have probably been all right for us so yeah. you say that how many times did Danny Mullen who's about half the size of David Bates out jump David Bates yesterday yeah it wasn't uh, one of the finer performances from from Bates. We'll move on to our set of defence in a minute. Let's just talk about Mark McGee's decision to haul Adam off because I just feel that we're not going to talk about Mark McGee very much if we don't talk about this because it was one of the more baffling managerial decisions I think I've seen since... Something Mark McGee did when I was at Aberdeen? <laughs> I'm trying to think about what it would be, to be honest with you. One of those... Playing Stuart Duff at centre-back? Yes, yes, Duff and Ricky Sign, Foster. Signing Gerald Eiffel. Who was the centre-half pair in that night? Duff and Mulgrew. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was Duff and Mulgrew. Yeah, with Derek Young playing right back. I think Foster playing yeah. left back. Yeah, fucking hell. Richard Foster. Tricky, tricky Ricky. Richard McDonald. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I noticed that Mul- Mulgrew, Charlie Adam, was struggling. He went down with an injury, yeah, but he seemed to run it off. And it seemed as though as soon as he kind of like, I think he kind of, you know, kneeled down on his haunches and seemed from that very second McGee had made his decision that he was off, um, appeared to be running fine. And then the the substitution came and yeah, um, the reaction from Charlie Adam said it all in many ways. Well, not the only reaction that came from a player being substituted yesterday. One thing I'm going to say, the, the idea about any song about the Aberdeen boys being on a bender, player X is a sex offender, has to get in the fucking bin, right? Unless it is a Lee Griffiths or a Goodwillie type scenario where there is proof around a player being an offender of the sexual crime basis, that type of shit needs to get in the bin. There's nothing wrong with just a simple Charlie Charlie get the fuck or a Charlie Adam you're a wanker, which serenaded him from the park yesterday. Delightful stuff from that perspective. Um, on that, it was also nice to hear the Mark McGee meltdown on BBC Sports Sound on the drive home last night, where he just didn't want to talk about Charlie Adam, despite the fact for about three weeks now, all he's wanted to do is talk about Charlie Adam. It's just classic, Mark. It's almost as if he doesn't know what he's doing. Almost, almost. Um, 
bless him, Ethan last week from the Dance Park Choir who joined us. Uh, Ethan's uh, a DTV commentator, so I think it's fair to say that Ethan has to um, present maybe a, a more positive spin on things than than perhaps the the average Dundee fan may wish to. There's a very real prospect, isn't there, that McGee's brought in to try and save the season in inverted commas for Dundee and leaves Dundee without winning a game of football. Very real possibility, yes. But winning the last three is not impossible. <laughs> Mark McGee, 2022. I know. What a, what a guy, honestly. The, the, I know he can't come out and say, listen, we're relegated because it's not mathematically the case. You I say get that. that. Part. He told the guys they weren't going to win many games the first time they came in. So I think <laughs> he absolutely true. can. Yeah, and I'm slightly true. surprised he hasn't. Yeah, that's true. Die, boys, we're done. <laughs> Fuck it. It's been a good laugh, hasn't it? I've saved on my heating bill. Let's talk about our centre half pairing. Let's uh, let's talk about the Bates Gallagher um, duo. It's not exactly Miller and McLeish, is it? Let's be honest. It's more Eiffel Maweni at this moment in time. Did they play together? I'm presuming they did. I... Um, yeah, it's not. I mean, like I said, there was those moments in the first half when Declan Gallagher played us into trouble on at least two separate occasions. David Bates looks like a broken man in many oh, in many Jesus. ways. It's kind of almost... If he was a horse, you would take him out the back and shoot him. Yeah, pretty much. If it was a, if it was a boxing match, the ref would call it a long time ago. Yes. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of, I always feel bad just watching it. It's, it's just almost awkward watching David Bates play right now. Um, I would give one bit of credit to Declan Gallagher in that in the very final moments of the game, there is a free header for, well, there's a possibility of a header for a Dundee attacker and he puts himself in a place where it's going to hurt but he makes the clearance. So if we're going to be critical of their mistakes, we've got to praise them for when they do things right. And that was one good little bit of play by Declan Gallagher. I actually thought Declan Gallagher in the second half <laughs> improved. But to be fair, that's a very low bar from which you were starting in the first half. I saw somebody... I think it was Duncan Rothney. I have to call, I have to shout this out because it was fucking brilliant. Basically saying that playing with Declan Gallagher must be a nightmare. It's almost like he has shares in the NHS, the number of hospital passes he plays. Yeah, there's a guy, I think we've said before, I think we all expected him to be quite good at the defending and just sort of no-nonsense, quite tough and just, you know, probably just gets rid, but, but that's okay. He seems to have... There's a touch of the Ash Taylors. Taylor could maybe have a spell in a game where he's just dominating his opponent and he's winning everything. And then he gets this idea in his head that he knows how to play football. And that's when it would usually go wrong for him. I feel like Gallic is better if he just puts his head in there, wins it. And even if he just has to get rid of it, I feel a little bit more comfortable watching him do that. I don't really like the idea of him trying to play any football because he, he, he just, uh, it's not that he can't pass the ball, it's just he can't pass the ball. In the right Who situation, to pass it to. Well, it's like he'll have tons, tons of space, and he'll shell it. But then he'll be getting closed down, and that's when he decides to just pop it off to a teammate who's marked. You know, it, it's his decision making and the timing <laughs> of his passing is just. In the first half, he smashed two completely straight balls just down in the park that just sailed out for a goal kick for Dundee, and both times he's like giving it the whole, like the arms up, come on, and you're like, mate, no one's catching that. That's an appalling ball to have played. That um, was. Rory McArdle-esque in distribution. Yeah, and that's been... I'm going in for like bringing like all the PTSD of our shit defenders back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like it, definitely. 
bizarrely then Bates in the second half actually started kind of deciding he was going to start playing some nice passes out from the back and that's when you're like there is there's something there with Bates I just don't know quite what it is I feel like he's almost being hung out to drive a little bit as well by being made to play on the left hand side of the two he's clearly not left footed so that's not helping him here and Gav you're right he just looks like a broken man and I, I wonder if we might even see him be brought out of the team now for the last three games of the season just to can I take him out the firing line a little bit? Um, rest him up. Graham and I were talking about this in the um, in the watering hole we were in before the game. The watering hole we gave great consideration to staying in rather than go to the game, if I might add. Oh, Gav, shill and, it. Go for it. Shill it. And, shill where, uh, where you were. What's that? Shill where you were. Go for it. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say it's around the back of Bruno Castlegate. Um, and yeah, like, obviously we haven't kept a clean sheet all, all year until until saturday constantly gate is a thing we accept that but i'm yeah i think we were both in agreement that i'm not sure why our two center halves are seemingly so undroppable when we have a, a perfectly good option there that um could improve us in those in their fi- final three games and yeah i'd i would like to take Bates, probably Bates, because i think there's more to work with actually david Bates. i think if we can get him going next season i see more in him than declan gallagher which have maybe some people will find astounding to re- to listen to, but um, yeah, that's yeah. I think there's more there with him than Gallagher. But in the meantime, maybe just take him out of the firing line and get a very reliable Andrew Constantine back in the team. I tell you what, if there's one thing that David Bates has learned from Andy Constantine, it's about having your hands all over the opposition player that you're marking. I've uh, I've gone back. If you look through his Instagram, there's a lot of pictures of him holding onto a defend a striker's shirt. So I think it's. I think it's something you already knew. Yeah, the, the Gallagher one's an interesting one as well. I mean, I think we've spoken about it before on the pod that season. I'm sure we have. We were bound to have because, you know, fuck me how bad we've been defensively this season. Gallagher's best work for me in his career has been as playing in a back three. Um, so he did really well at Livingston in, when he played for Scotland, where he looked impressive for Scotland. He was in a back three. And I do wonder if they're going to... He's under contract for next season. He is going to be, I would imagine, one of the more well-remunerated players in the squad, given he came from, uh, he was club captain at Motherwell. He was in the Scotland squad at the time. I presume we're going to have to try and find a way to somehow get Declan Gallagher into the first team. Otherwise, it's just sinking cash down a hole, which we're currently doing with Jet in Dubai on his stakes. Um, I'm on yourself, big man. But um, does that mean... Goodwin looks at like a back three next season. I mean, a back three gives me the fear because Aberdeen have never been able to successfully execute a back three in the entire time I've watched us play football. But does he try to go for that? The astounding thing about Declan Gallagher in a back three to me is that Jake from the Almond View podcast mentioned that he played on the right side and at times played almost like an overlapping centre back. Which and played as a right back sometimes as well. Which is just quite the thought to say the very least. Um, I don't think we'd be short of takers if we were to put him in the shop window, so to speak. I, we might not be short of takers, but who's going to pay the salary? You're going to have to Aberdeen. contribute something <laughs> to... Yeah, you're going to have to contribute something. I think you're right, people will take him, but no one's, going to, no one's going to buy him. I would like to think that we'll go into the season with a structure and a formation in mind and build the team around the formation rather than build a formation around our players. Okay. It's an interesting way to look at it. I, I, you know, he might look at it and go, "Well, these are the guys I've got. So this is what I want to do." But I think you're probably right. Goodwin will probably decide 
this is how I want to play it. I mean, do you really see a good uh, a good win? Do you see a good win Bates partnership next? Do you see a Gallagher Bates partnership as our first choice center halves kicking off next season? I'd be the one thing as you are right is they're both probably making substantial money. Yeah, they will be. Un- unquestionably they will be. Um but I would be I'd be surprised, yeah. And, and David Bates is on like a 3-year deal. I think that's right. Yep. So there's more longevity in Bates and you're going to have to pay a shitload more to get Bates off the wage bill. So Bates is here to stay. I don't think there's any doubt about that in the, in the short term anyway. Um, I, I, for me, I, I can't see us going into next season with that being our first choice centre-half pairing. If we do, that gives me that gives me the willies. And not the Willie Millers. More the Willie Columns. I don't see how you possibly... I don't say you can because he, it's not like he's just been that partnership under Goodwin. No, but... I mean, that's generally what he has played. And surely he must be looking at that and saying, yeah, this isn't really working. I'm not saying, I'm absolutely not saying there's two bad players, but they don't really, I don't feel like they complement each other. And they don't have, I guess your best pairing is a guy who just does all the dirty work and is physical and then someone who can play the ball. And, you know, one goes, one stays, and they just kind of seem to know, like when we had Anderson Reynolds, for example, not that one was a bruiser, but they just seem to have this knowledge of, right, Anderson's gone at the guy, so Reynolds is going to drop back. So if someone does break, he's there and he's quick and he'll catch him. But Bates and Gallagher, if, to be honest, it's kind of like the whole season. that They're just two guys that just happen to be playing next to each other. I don't yeah. think they're working particularly well. As in most of the time when we watch Saturday in this season, it's 11 guys out there. And some of them are actually pretty good, but it's not, it's not 11 guys playing as a team. It's 11 individuals. In a weird way as well, their styles almost do complement each other, though, from that perspective. You know, if you look at like a Miller-McLeish partnership, it was all about the fact that McLeish went and tried to win everything the first time. You know, he was the guy that went in and got dirty in terms of trying to win headers and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Willie was the guy who would sweep up. Same with Russell and with Mark Reynolds to an extent. That was the kind of way those two guys played. And in a really weird way, Gallagher and Bates almost comp. They, they do kind of compliment each other from that. You'd expect Gallagher will be the guy going and being physical and winning things and doing the dirty work. And then Bates is kind of there to sweep up. He's got a little bit more pace about him. He can also play the ball out from the back when he when he has the confidence up. And you saw it a little bit yesterday. He played a couple of, what for me in the second half, for given how he looked first half, where he looked like a shell of a man, he played a few risky passes out in the second half, which... I think if you're going to try and play an expansive and attacking brand of football, you kind of need a centre-half who's willing to play those risky passes out from the back and has a confidence and an ability to do it. So in a really weird way, they kind of complement each other other than the fact that it just doesn't seem to be gelling at all on the pitch. They should complement each other, I agree. If you were to look at the two on paper or watch their sort of games before they came to Aberdeen, I agree. But the thing is... I mean, obviously, it looks like Bates is lacking confidence. He's probably not the only person in that team. I can understand that. But I think where I've been quite surprised is Gallagher's nowhere near as aggressive no. as I thought he would be. No. And I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't mean just booting people up in the air because some people like that and you get the, you know, you might get a section of the crowd going. He's just not dominated. I can't think of any games where he's dominated his opponent to the extent that I thought he would. I thought when we got him, having seen him, Obviously, he's had some good games for Scotland and I know we were solid at uh, Livingston and he was decent at Motherwell. I just thought, right, that's fine. There's a guy that 
pretty much anything comes into the box or anyone's trying to play someone physical up top, they're not gonna really going to beat him or certainly not consistently over 90 minutes. But he's just nowhere near the he dominant was, force I thought he would be. He was doing it against Hibs in the game, oh, was it October time? It was after the Dens Park game, wasn't it? Was um, that Maloney had just come in? No, it was Jack. Jack Ross was still there. Um, he in the home game. He 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 did oh, it. To, he did it to Nisbet that day. He was playing really well against Nisbet, and he was he was doing exactly as you said. And then he pulled his hammy or whatever, and then he was out again for however long he was out for. He was doing it there, and then since then, you're right. It's just not quite. Even yesterday, like there was there was times that Mullen, who as I said earlier on, is like half the size. Well, he's not half the size of David Bates. That's an exaggeration. But he's 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 a much Physically, it has a, an advantage for yeah. the sort of physical challenges, yeah. and yeah, wasn't and he making was, the most of it. He was bullying Bates all over the place yesterday, and it was like it was one of those moments where, like, you kind of almost want to see your center half go right, you know what, let's switch over, I'll take him for a little bit, and let's let me go and take him. And it never happened, and it's just like you're right, I don't see Galker doing the things that I thought he would be brought in to do, and that's a surprise, yes, because it, it's. We all know he can do it. I mean, he, he's he's made his career, as far as I can see, doing that, and he's he's generally done it quite well. So, although I know we've said we couldn't quite understand why we signed him, he didn't seem to fit with what we thought the style and the philosophy was. As in, he was going to be maybe an old school defender rather than being able to play. I, I've not seen the actual old school mm. defending that I, I absolutely know he does have in his locker, and if we could get some of that back then actually becomes an attribute. And then maybe you do get to see that partnership working a little bit better because they they are obviously complementing each other at the moment. I just feel like neither of them are really mm. realising their potential. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when the season's finished and we get a proper preseason under the yeah. belts, fresh start, confidence going. My concern though would be that on the basis of what I've seen, and it's a good sample size now, it feels like we're not getting the best out of both players by them being in a partnership. So I think it will be something that Jim Goodwin, likewise, as he will be doing all over the pitch, will be looking at very closely at. Only thing I want to touch on about yesterday's performance, the substitutions, in particular the decision to, to take Christian Ramirez off and put Teddy Jenks on in a game which at that point was still nil-nil in a must-win game at home. It had me at the time, uh, Graham can attest to this, I think it was Graham who was who I was verbalising this most to in his ear at the moment, really baffled me, the decision to bring Ramirez off for Jenks. Thoughts on that? Uh, baffled is a politer way to describe what I was feeling at the time. I don't, I don't, and actually, I mean, Ramirez is not the player he was sort of first half of the, the season or arguably up until Glass left. But I actually thought, in that period in the second half, it looked like there was maybe starting to be something there. I think he'd been involved in the game more. I think he had had a chance that he maybe could have done a little bit better. So I felt like, yeah, Ramirez is starting to get into the game. You know, obviously, you want your forward players into the game. I'm not so sure taking him off was the right thing to do, and I can't really fathom what he was attempting to achieve with that substitution, if I'm honest. I didn't really, I didn't really get it. Gav's got a wry smile on his face here. People are going to think we've scripted a uh, a debate for this section. I didn't think Ramirez was up to much at all yesterday, and 
I think if Goodwin had a striking option on the bench, he would have brought another striker on in his place. The situation Goodwin has inherited means that he does not have that, but we needed to make a change. And Ramirez, for me, was the obvious candidate. And Not Watkins, because Watkins wasn't up to much yesterday either. Yeah, Watkins was pretty poor. It's a fair point, but... Careful, we're now not agreeing with each other, which is a thing as well um, we've been accused about being too much of. I think Watkins has more in the way of ability. Ramirez had his chance, he didn't take it. And there was more than a couple of occasions during the game where he was throwing strops on the pitch when people didn't yeah. pass to him. And his reaction when he got subbed off, I mean, Graham's right. We spoke, we spoke about this afterwards. You know, it's natural players are unhappy when they get subbed, but in the situation we're in, for him to be making all about himself suggests that this is a guy who isn't really that invested in what happens to the team over himself. So I think that's also a playing factor in why Goodwin made that decision. Do we need to talk about what happened midweek with Ramirez? It's probably already been said, and I'm not really sure. Okay, people are going to read what they want into it. Uh, it's obviously a guy who's, you know, he's maybe not particularly happy here, but I, I don't really know if I want to go criticising. I mean, I haven't lived abroad and been without family and friends and stuff, so I don't really know what it's like. It's it, my my de- default position would probably be look, you get well paid to kick a ball. Maybe you could just keep it to yourself for a while and then you can moan about it in the summer once you go back home if that's what you decide to do. But I think that's probably a little bit unfair. But then the only thing I would say is maybe the more you put out there, the more criticism you open yourself up to. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to put stuff out without a pile on, but these guys know how it works. So maybe just don't give people the ammunition. I think we've seen instances in the past where there is a section of Aberdeen support online in particular that are prepared to go after people and their families. We've seen that on more than one occasion. And if people are in fact going after his wife online, then yeah, that's clearly unacceptable. But I kind of take the same view of Graham that he is very well paid to play for Aberdeen. And I hate to break it to him. He did sign for Aberdeen. He didn't sign for Stephen Glass. So be a team player. It's not about you and just get on with things. And yeah, if he wants to leave in the summer, then so be it. He'll leave with a more bitter taste than probably we expected in September, October time. And it'll be a kind of sad way that's ended. But um, yeah, it looks to me like it's only going to end one way. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was like a slightly odd scenario, the whole thing. I mean, there's, there's so much almost unpack out of all this just in itself. Um, one, I don't understand why, in this day and age, why any player, why any player's partner, wife, kids, I'm looking at you, well, it's not a player, but I'm looking at you, Jack McInnes, um, why they're not, like, locking down their social media so that only, like, people who are their friends and family or whatever can view it and comment about it. I don't understand why there are still people out there. I mean, I think we've seen it now this season. Well, I think a lot more of the kind of the players' kind of partners and stuff have, have already locked their accounts down and stuff. Like you could only read um, Ramirez's wife's post in one way because she used the she used the past tense about living in a in another country was hard, right? So somebody quite rightly had pointed out, well, that sounds like a, they're not coming back. 
scenario because you would say living in another country is hard if you plan to be coming back after summer. You wouldn't use the past tense in was. And maybe there are people who are also just reading too much into it. Fair enough. Um, but what was interesting was the fact that Ramirez decided to go after a guy who literally had only just basically quoted it and basically said, that sounds like they're off. Like It wasn't like somebody was being abusive about it. They were just kind of basically highlighting reposting something that was already out there in the public domain at that point because this account is not locked down it's not private and and basically saying well that looks like they're not here and you know there are there are parts of it, i think people have maybe taken parts of it a bit too literally with the whole like you know we're so fortunate to be you know american and whatever and living in our country was really hard and like yeah I, I, like i think sometimes you need to put a human element on these things that for for his wife especially she has had to move to uh a country where none of her friends are here it's different for Ramirez he goes to training every day he's surrounded by his teammates he's in a uh a friendly environment from that perspective you know his his wife has, has had to move here and listen hey listen Aberdeen's not Aberdeen's not Ukraine and it's not Syria or it's not Palestine or it's not anywhere that is you know where there's real 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 severe issues in the world at the same time, Aberdeen's also not Los Angeles um, with the best one in the world. Although it does have a beach. And I know, Graham, you'll, you'll pick up on this in a minute. So it is a big, it's a big cultural shift, I think, for somebody like a partner and everything. And they have two young children. If she's spending most of her days with the two kids, you know, I can speak to that. You know, the, spending your time just with two kids all the time who, at the ages that, that Ramirez's kids are at, because they're basically ages with my kids, that's not a, it's not the most fulfilling of existences if all you're doing is surrounded by kids and then just all it is is your husband coming home and you don't necessarily have that kind of support network around you so i could completely see it from her perspective i think it was naive though to be posting the things that they're posting still um, in a public way that makes people question what's going on um i thought it was odd as well he chose to go after the person he chose to go out it's like just just shut it down mate just don't talk about it just leave it don't engage with people where we're at such a kind of critical juncture of the season it's not about you at this moment in time um and that's kind of how i felt a little bit about the strop that was thrown as well gav you're right and there's a picture of him like staring down the barrel of like the photographer have you seen it he's on the bench yesterday and he's kind of everyone else is looking up the right hand up, up towards the mercund end of the pitch and he's like staring down the barrel of a photographer's lens who's down at the dick donald end and you were like are you even like actively seeking out that photographer that's that's going way a bit like conspiracy theory stuff here but like to make it that look has like got you, a nice big tin hat on at the moment i do i do um to make it i can't tell if i'm looking at gary or lawrence shanklin right now but a sign <laughs> a signed poster of matt letizia behind him uh, oh, fuck me matt letizia man did you see what someone tweeted him to i think maybe today or yesterday no i haven't seen it there was like maybe like sky or bt or whoever was like is harry kane the best penalty taker of all time in the english premier league mm-hmm. and matt letizia said like are you are you joking? And someone tweeted him back saying, "No, no, no, mate, you weren't a penalty taker. All those goalkeepers were crisis actors." <laughs> yes. And Matt Letizia blocked the I guy. Actually, I, I honestly feel a little bit like Matt Letizia is actually ill. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Certainly not ill with COVID, because <laughs> it doesn't exist. And I think we've digressed somewhat. <laughs> so, in in summary, I'm sure it's not been easy. Uh, it's not the toughest existence either, but maybe you don't need to be greeting to the world and then wondering why a lot of people that pay your wages are then getting a little bit frustrated or putting two and two together and coming up with five. 
And I will finish this off with the point that yes, Aberdeen is not LA, but it does have a beach, and that's one more beach than Minnesota. Exactly. We highlighted the, the the podcast he'd done with, uh, or the episode he'd done with his orange slices, I think. And you listened yep. to it on your way to work, I think, on Monday. Graham, your your takeaway on that? I enjoyed your message. The first the first text you sent me, which was these boys have opened this podcast, talk about the trainers. I'm out. Yeah, I'll be honest. It was quite difficult to listen to it and get into it. Um, some of what Ramirez says is fair. Some of it, you know, again, probably on the the point of view that as a guy is not particularly happy, and that's the way it goes. But going in on the beach, it's it's just a line for me that you, <laughs> you can't cross. It really just, is a line. There's just for no you, need it? for it. There's just no need for it. And he was talking shite. So that's that's all I'm going to say on that. Because of a technical issue, we couldn't include the backstory of why that is such a um, oh, a yeah, line in the yeah. sand for you. So do you want to clarify that this week? Yeah. So, um, you know, never led to be said, I'm not a man to hold a petty grudge. For those of us that had the misfortune of seeing David Trujillich, that was one of the first things he moaned about when he came over here, that, oh, they told me it was a beach, but it's not really much of a beach. I think he said, oh, it's not like Bondi Beach or something like that. But obviously not. But <laughs> it is a beach. So I have zero time for anyone who doesn't do their research and then decides that Aberdeen Beach is not a beach because it absolutely 100% is. So I've had an irrational hatred of anyone that goes in on the beach since, I don't know when he ever signed, like 2002, three or something like that. I mean, we need to put this into context as well. Graham, your hatred for this goes like so deep now because you then refused to call him by his name. That's true. That is true. I've only done it for the purposes of this podcast. Yeah, so he became forever known as 19 because that was his squad number. And it also meant from that point on that the number 19 was cursed in Graham's eyes. Yes, but to be fair, a couple of donkeys did wear number 19 after him. Ricky but... Foster, I think, was one of them. <laughs> yes. So in summary, I'm I'm for the Aberdeen Beach. And sorry, Christian, I'm sure you're not listening, but but it is a beach. So so there, I win. <laughs> so suck on these nuts. Um... At the risk of opening up the uh, myself to criticism on Twitter, I think Lewis Ferguson broke the 19 spell. Yes, yes. I would agree with that. I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And yeah, just finally, I you know, it was not pretty, but we did win the game as a big win. And I did notice that final whistle that Christian Ramirez was nowhere to be seen. So yeah, I think uh it probably says a lot. I think um it's just as well for him we're not in the playoffs because he did <laughs> he did uh announce on that podcast that he basically bought his ticket back to California for like this the red eye flight the morning after the Simbering game. Um it would have been interesting to see him having to be told that wait a minute, mate, you need to cancel that because we're playing our growth in a playoff match. But hey, there we go. Well, he might be excited. Because, uh, is it not 12 o'clock kickoff for the Samaritan game? It is, yeah. yeah. So he might even get out at tea time. It's true. Yes, that's absolutely true. Definitely. And he'd probably, the thing is, he'd probably liked our growth. That's got a beach. Yes. Yes. Cold, but yes. A stadium on the sea. You know, it's, it's, it's good. Anyway. Um, Gav, you're right. Hey, listen, yesterday was all about getting the win. I think Goodwin talked about this as well. Um, the performance was enough. The performance was enough to get the points. That's all I'm going to say. That's, that's all that matters yesterday. Uh, hopefully that does put this season to bed unless we completely shit it and somehow St. Johnston pull three wins from three, but unlikely, it's fair to say. The latter part of that statement unlikely. I will say this before we get the guys on later, but if St. <laughs> if St. Johnston can't beat St. Mirren at home, 
they're not winning three on the spin. Or Dundee, they didn't beat Dundee either last week, being one nil up. So yeah, that's what I am. It's all good. Gents, it topped on for you uh, yesterday. Joe Lewis. Lewis is a good shout. I thought Ferguson had a decent game and putting the penalty away with all the pressure that he would have been feeling, I thought was pretty impressive. He's still a young, relatively young guy, although he has got quite a lot of experience. So I guess that's maybe not quite the same as saying, oh, he's just a kid stepping up. But I thought he had a decent game and credit to him when maybe some people are shying away. Again, he is the penalty taker, but he stepped up and he put it away. And that's all you can really, really ask for. So I thought he had a tidy game. Joe Lewis, for me, had a, had, a, had a really good game, really important, the saves he pulled off, especially in the first half, um, kept us in the game. I think if we go in at halftime 2-0 down, then, you know, geez, oh, that is a, a toxic atmosphere, if nothing else, that the, the, the guys are walking into at halftime. Uh, I thought Conor Barron did well as well over the piece. thought Vinny Bajowin showed what he can do in flashes. We need to get that guy more involved in games, though. I thought I'm going to give my top down to Jack McKenzie. We've not spoken about him so far tonight. Um, for me, there's been a lot of people out there questioning Jack McKenzie's uh, potential, his ability, so on and so forth. Uh, even a few of us on here this season, it's fair to say. I thought he did well against Livingston last week, but it was in a, it was in a poor Aberdeen performance overall. I thought, yes, the Jack McKenzie showed us exactly what he can be about and um, I'm going to give him my top don. I thought he was excellent yesterday. Yeah, it was much more the Jack McKenzie that made us very excited about his future at the beginning of the season. Um, he will know that Kieran Gwenya is coming back from Kelty Hearts. There is chat of this lad coming in from Ireland whose name is currently escaping me. Brendan so Hamilton. Brendan Hamilton, who I believe is a highly rated left back as well. So he knows he's going to have to fight for his place and hopefully that'll kick him on to finish the season on a real high. Yeah, we're really pleased with, with Jack McKenzie's performance yesterday. Um, he's my top don. But let's move on. Other news from Patoja this week. Congratulations to Calvin Ramsey, named the Scottish Football Writers Association Young Player of the Year. And to both Calvin Ramsey and to Conor Barron, who were both nominated for the PFA Scotland Young Player of the Year Award. The last time an Aberdeen player picked that award up was Kevin McNaughton back in 2001-2002. And speaking of Kevin McNaughton, all the best to Super Kev and his recovery after he underwent hip replacement surgery this week. And he was beautifully sharing online the NHS guidance for sex positions for somebody who has undergone a hip replacement. So all the best to Super Kev. I think we should also just congratulate all the winners at the end of season Player Awards last week as well. Ross McCrory, uh, Lewis Ferguson picking up Player of the Year and Player's Player of the Year. Yeah. I remember rightly. Connor Barron, Young Player of the Year and a couple of others that I now can't remember. Vincente uh, Bejevin picked up Goal of the Season and Ryan Duncan picked up Development Player of the Year, as I recall. All of them kind of matching very closely what happened with our end of season awards. Obviously, the official awards come just slightly below hours in the pecking order uh, hopefully our trophies should be delivered uh, on monday i'm hoping and i'll get them out of cormac park to hand out to the to the lucky winners at some point with any luck um i'll be getting pride of place on the mantelpieces i actually think they're probably better than the ones they got from the club i'm just <laughs> saying <laughs> um 
Also, you just talked about Gav. We've been linked with the signing of Glenn Torrens, Northern Irish under-18 left-back Brendan Hamilton. Now, Hamilton travelled with the young team to the Algarve tournament earlier in the year, acquitted himself well by all accounts to people who were at the tournament itself. Now, as I understand that this is actually a done deal, um, the formal announcement is yet to come. And I am led to believe from um, somebody who has spoken to the high hygiene himself that we might even be paying a fee for this lad. He comes highly rated. I think he's been on trial at, I want to say, Rangers and Celtic and at Brighton as well. So some teams definitely looking at this lad. He's only 15, 16, so one for the future. Presumably he goes into the development squad if he comes in. But uh, the type of move I'm kind of hoping we do more of, to be fair, is picking up talented young players from different regions not just from Scotland not just from Aberdeen although obviously you want to keep your focus on that area I mean I'm just gonna say not to lean into this whole pessimistic idea of us but let's just hope he's better than the last uh, young fullback that we signed for a fee Ronnie Ronnie was a right back I said fullback oh fullback right keep up Jake we signed Brendan Hamilton for Atlanta (laughs) (laughs) I don't rule out Jet showing up at Atlanta these days It's, it's a bit early for the it's a bit earlier for the conspiracy theories on this one to be being wheeled out, isn't it? Maybe it's the Malatissier talk, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. On the women's side, no game for the Quines ahead of recording this week. They are in action against Partick Thistle last night. That's Tuesday. Congratulations, though, to Bailey Hutchison, who has been nominated for the PFA Scotland Women's Young Player of the Year. A well-deserved nomination for the striker who's scored... 18 goals in only 22 appearances this season. She'll obviously be hoping to add that award to her more coveted ABZFP Women's Player of the Year award that she has already picked up onto the young team. Two games this week for the young team. First up was a daunting visit to title-chasing Hibs, but it was Hibs who hibs it, and the Dons who came out on top in this one. Adam Emsley with the only goal of the game on 37 minutes, latching onto a Timmy Fatona layoff before fighting across the goalkeeper, and into the far corner. Is it nice to see the Hibs adopt that Hibsing thing right the way through the youth levels as well? I think it's good that they have a club philosophy that, uh, I don't know what the correct word is, permeates through all the levels. Nice, nice. Um, the Dons not helped by a controversial penalty award to the home team just four minutes into the game, which went begging as Young fired his spot kick high over the bar, and then the Dons were controversially denied a spot kick with four minutes remaining, despite the referee actually awarding a penalty kick. His decision was overturned following a conversation with his assistant. Was Grant Irvin the referee this game? Well, which saw Dons coach Scott Anderson sent off. But then the drama was far from over, still deep into seven minutes of injury time. The referee and his assistant contrived to award a further penalty kick to Hibbs after initially awarding a free kick. So it's good to see that our young lads are also getting well-versed in the peculiarities, shall we say, of Scottish football officiating. But never mind, Jamie Shingler pulled off a great stop to deny Blaney from the penalty spot. A huge three points for the young team in that one. Before on Friday saw the visit of Hamilton Ackes to Cormac Park, with Dons throwing away a two-goal lead in this one, a goalless for 67 minutes and a closely contested fixture until Dylan Lobbins' corner was met by Watson at the back stick, and his header was tucked in by Adam Emsley. The Young Dons then made it two just a couple of minutes later. Emsley again, the scorer, finishing well after a fantastic pass from the aforementioned Dylan Lobbins, who was celebrating his call-up to the Scotland under-17s. 
you thought the young team would be on easy street at that point when Aki's then went down to 10 men, a second yellow card for Sam Spence with 40 minutes left on the clock. But it was the visitors who responded best. The penalty awarded after a foul on Forsyth. He stepped up to slam home the penalty before Aki's leveled it up just a minute later. A corner from the left ending up in the net after a smash at the back post. Dom Morgan credited with the goal for that one. Dylan Lobin then saw himself given a straight red card for comment to the referee. I'd love to know what that was as the game then came to an end. Next up for the Dons, the visit of Hibs to Cormac Park next week. And on to Lone Watch. Luke Turner rounded off his spell with Cliftonville by playing another full 90 minutes as they beat Glentoran by two goals to one in the Norwich Irish Premiership. Will that be the last time I get to say that? At least this year. But it was heartbreak in the end as they missed out on the league title by just one point to Rangers' baby brothers, Linfield. No. Kieran the Gwen, although well, to be fair, Linfield have never gone out of business. So are they now the big brothers? Bigot brothers? Bigot brothers. That's what we'll go with. That lad who we were speaking to on Twitter the other night, he'll be all about that. He'll he'll love a bit of Linfield action, I imagine. Kieran Nguyenia played the full 90 as Kelty Hearts rounded off their campaign with a 2-1 win at Annan Athletic. Evan Towler with the full game as well for Elgin City as they lost out 2-0 at Stranraer in League 2. Mason Hancock with a full game under his belt as Sterling Albion finished their season in style by thumping playoff hopefuls Edinburgh City by 5 goals to nil. And in League 1, Ryan Duncan came off the bench for the final 35 minutes as Peter Head threw 1-1 with Airdrie. Try not to laugh at the back when you hear that Simon Ferry scored an own goal for Peter Head in his last appearance for the Blue Toon. That's amazing, because they spent the entire week talking about how he never scored a goal for Peter Head. Yeah, he scored an own goal. Um, <laughs> so presumably there was a good night out to be had after that one. And finally, Dean Campbell played the full 98 for Kilmarnock in their 1-1 draw with Wraith Rovers on Friday night. No games this week for Tyler Makaita. That's right, I'm going to keep pronouncing that one wrong, because the Highland League has already finished. Fantasy Football Scotland. Recording this in real time, waiting for the app to load. I enjoy it. I, it takes a while to load, doesn't I it? I prepared in advance, so I have mine open, if you want you're me to. S- you're such a professional, Graham. I had a score of 70. Ooh, wow, was is quite incredible. I feel that must be your highest individual score of the season. I think you are probably right. So that's uh, that's yeah. nice. That's good. It's pretty tidy. Where'd you get uh, where'd you get those points from? Where did I get those points from? That is a good question. What were you hands in there for, Gary? I'll tell you in a minute. Oh. Ferguson had 24, and then the rest were sort of split all over the team, to be honest. It's Ferguson, your captain, must be. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll go first because I can tell the guy's got something that he wants to share with us. I have got 48 points, so still well above average. Yeah, Lewis Ferguson being my main point scorer. What was the average score this week? 29. 29 was the average score in the league this season, this week? Yeah. That's horrendous. Which, bearing in mind the highest points scored was 104, that does tend to mean that some people have had absolute shockers. And that means Graham's had a really good week, to be fair to him. It does, um, the, yep. the, re- the reason I'm celebrating is I had 62 points this week. I see now. And what that has meant is that I have hauled myself off the bottom of the table of our private league that we have between ourselves. Um, it does mean that Gazers, Benny and the Jet are now cut adrift by 12 points. They ain't catching me. My uh, my Mark McGee tactics are not eating and 
not having any heating on this week have paid off. For the love of God, keep your clothes on, though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's seen me break into the top 200 now of, of, of the ABZFP League. I'm up to 184th. That's on par with Aberdeen finishing about ninth as far as achievements go. I nearly finished level on points with Jack Curran, who still leads the way with his two turkeys. He has 63 this week. Only 63? Only 63. Amateurs. Amateurs I can't even imagine points. getting a poor haul like that. Unfortunately, Steve Brown with Gold Frankenstein's Gert only managed 56. We couldn't yeah. reel him in. Hasn't closed that gap. And neither did Oliver Curran, Old Kent Road. He only got 63. Jack Silly Geeks. 70 points. Matt's Marvel, 77, really coming up the outside there. He might have an outside chance of breaking it in that third spot. I feel everyone in the top 10, maybe even a little bit lower, still has a chance of getting in that the medal positions. I would I, I would I would probably say the top I think your top five is where that's at there to try and get into that third spot. I think first and second are too far ahead already. But hey, there we go. There's what three games left to go. Three games left. Three games to go. There's some good prizes still up for grabs. Jack Curran, Stephen Brown, Oliver Curran are the guys currently in those prize-winning positions. Keep on keeping on. On Saturday, the second time this campaign that we visit Easter Road, Gav, you were just overlooking Easter Road and your digs the other week. Yep. As we face our third manager of the Hibbies, this campaign is David Gray. Not that David Gray. Um, what was his song again? Babylon. Babylon. There we go. Does anyone, does anyone want to break out a, a wee bit of Babylon? Don't remember how it went. Babylon. That's how it went. Uh, well, I just remember that one with the, the head shaking. I think it was the be same man, one. Be man. Oh, there we go. Good. I think this is going to be a regular feature as us singing on this podcast now. For the benefit of the listeners, I'm going to veto that. David Gray will likely be in the dugout unless something happens between now and next Saturday, which is entirely possible. Who knows? Roy Keane might get the job. That would be hilarious for all the wrong reasons if you're a Hibs fan, all the right reasons for the league. I want Roy Keane to get that job. I am in for watching Roy Keane manage Paul Hanlon. And Ryan Porteous. I imagine you'll fucking love Ryan Porteous. Yeah, maybe. I'm all there for just watching Roy Keane like, absolutely lose his shit at, I don't know, like a John Beaton decision or whatever it'll be scenes as as the youth would say i'm very very intrigued as to what the gents from the hips talk podcast have to say about the roy keen link yeah definitely i mean like us hips have had an absolute fucking horror show of a season it's cost both jack ross and sean maloney their jobs we're not quite as bad as the point of having binned off two managers quite yet uh hips coming into this one off the back of a one nil defeat at the tony macaroni last time out only one win in their last eight league games, and we've actually got a winning record over the High Bs this season with two wins to their one so far. Goals, a major, major issue for Hibs, only scoring 32 in the league so far. Only St. Mirren, Dundee, and St. Johnson have scored less. Martin Boyle remains their top scorer in the league, despite the fact he went to Saudi Arabia in January. That's not a great look, is it? Not really. Chance conversion their big issue the 32 goals that they've scored that's against an expected goal of 46.7 so not hitting the net when they they should be although if your main striker is Kristen Doidge I'm not necessarily surprised by that statistic here for the fact he scores a hat trick next Saturday Uh, defensively bizarrely I think everybody assumed when Maloney went into the job they would probably become this quite expansive free-flowing free-scoring team defensively they actually 
tightened up under Maloney. They've got, only conceded 38 goals this season. That's the fourth best record in the league. The home form is well, patchy, to say the least. Six wins from 17 home games so far. And like us, it's probably fair to say that Hibs are looking to, looking for the season to come to an end pretty sharpish. Thoughts on uh, next Saturday in the capital, gents? Does it matter anymore? Hibs are safe. We're safe. I mean, like, <laughs> who gives a shit? Yeah, I'm, I'm proposing that Joe Lewis and Hanlon meet in the middle, rock, paper, scissors, call it from there. Just a handshake, call it a draw. Um, Hibs have been in incredibly poor form for what feels like a very long time now. Um, they're just off the back of a disappointing 1-0 defeat to Livingston. So you assume that the confidence is pretty low. Players maybe not really sure what their future holds for them because, as we say, they have no new manager in situ right now. So I'm actually feeling reasonably confident that we can go down there and maybe, maybe, just maybe, get that third away win of the season. Two teams, as Gavin said, lacking confidence and pretty woeful. So <laughs> it's a rank nil-nil or one for the ages, a three-all or something like that. I think I, I think it'll be a pretty close game, not necessarily because anyone's going to be cagey. I think, well, Hebs are covered. Hebs are sorted for the, the playoffs. They're, they're safe from that. And I think Gavin's right, we're, we're as good as. But I just think it's two teams devoid of any almost like identity, you know, action plan. I think it'll be a pretty boring affair and I would not be surprised if it was a draw. Yeah, I tend to agree. I actually, I, I agree with Gav. I think we might sneak a win here out of somewhere. Um, I don't know why I have this optimism, but I just do. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you who's going to score. Don't really care who scores. Anybody who's going to that game um, next week, like, fair play to you. Like, why? Um, <laughs> <laughs> is um is Ryan Porches available for this game, do we know? Porches will be available, so he'll get himself sent off, I imagine. I'm um, calling it then Lewis Ferguson from the penalty spot. Excellent. There we go. Um, I'll do the same. 3 0 Aberdeen, a hat trick of Lewis Ferguson penalties from a hat trick of Ryan Porteous. Whoa, 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 whoa. Doing the same. I'm one, one penalty. One penalty. I'm going for three. Uh, 3 0 Aberdeen. To get the down low, though, on Hebs, uh, how their season's been, uh, spoiler alert, shite. And to compare some notes on just who has had the worst campaign, who's got the worst American based owner in the SPFL, we caught up with Gavin from the Hebs Talk podcast gavin wilson from the ab's oh, you're not from the abz football podcast are you that's <laughs> definitely not where you're from he's a long-suffering fan but not in that way jesus christ we'll start that again gavin wilson from the hibs talk podcast welcome to the abz football podcast how you doing good thank you very much for having me guys how are you guys getting on uh, wishing waiting for this season to come to a yes to an end yeah very very mutual feelings yes we have confirmed our top flight spfl status so it's a minor celebration which feels <laughs> kind of sad but yeah all good yeah. up here i think it's an interesting one which one of us do you think has got the worst american-based owner oh i don't know um <laughs> I, I, the jury's still out with ron gordon so I'm, I'm i'm trying to be optimistic and believe him in what he's saying but at the same time uh, you know my cynicism goes this is a mess so hopefully things are better long term but yeah uh, what would you guys say about your guys owners? <laughs> I mean, take that exact quote that you've just made and we can 
paste that into this section. Yeah, uh, I'd call it. I would call it a stalemate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we're probably the same. It's like I want to be positive. I want to be enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Cormack's a guy who talks a good game, and he's very enthusiastic. Yeah. But um, the proof has been in this the pudding this season. This has been Dave's first real season where he's been the, the head honcho. And let's be honest, it's been a fucking disaster. So yeah, you know, it's not great. Although in saying that, we were just talking, Gavin, just before we came on air about the fact that. Um, one of Hibs' sponsors and uh, Sportimon Go have gone bust, having now apparently been unveiled to be uh, what is effectively a Ponzi scheme. So oh. I-, I imagine effectively not a good look from you- from your perspective either. No, no, there was a lot of warning signs when it kind of came when Rangers got announced with it first, I think, and a lot of even Hibs fans were kind of going, oh, what are they getting with him? And then like a month later, it's like, oh, Hibs are doing it too. And it's like, oh, no. So yeah, uh, disaster incoming. But yeah, um, hi. But in terms of like the, the owners and stuff, like I will I will go on a, a slight short rant, like about because the uh, yeah that optimism's got uh, draining because in the recent interviews he said about how the recent uh, transfer windows have been good, and he sacked two managers who haven't <laughs> been backed in the transfer window, and his son who has never got any experience in football is head of recruitment, so he's he's choosing his uh, son over uh, managers and throwing them under the bus in my opinion. But yeah, oh to be fair. Dave Cormack's put his like surrogate son, Stephen Gunn, as our director of football, <laughs> who's got no experience of being a director of football anywhere. So there is, I enjoy the fact that Dave Cormack and Rod Gordon are apparently quite like, they're quite pally, I think, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and it's like they're just running their businesses or their football clubs in basically parallel circumstances. It's like they're both playing chess with each other, but making equally bad moves. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a head of recruitment that as best as we can tell, may or may not exist. That is true. <laughs> there you go. We've never seen a picture of him. We, we don't know if he actually exists or not. <laughs> um, so, Gavin, come on, talk to us. Like, what's gone wrong this season for Hibs? I mean, I remember um, being lucky enough to kind of go along to some, like, do some sort of press conference stuff, speaking Jack, to Jack Ross at the start of the season, and he was very clear, we need a striker and we need a centre-back. And then the transfer window went on. We got knocked out of Europe because we didn't get those players in in time. And then... Uh, McGuinness got injured as well which was a, a big blow because he was a big part of our team and we never signed that centre-back well, uh, you could argue we signed Nathan Wood who played one game against Dundee United we lost to Dean <laughs> and his loan got terminated and James Scott who was a tricky winger at Motherwell and we've never seen that um, he's been um, aye, non-existent a couple of games recently but I never not been involved so when the manager's not backed and then we're not scoring goals and then the manager gets sacked a week when, when he's got us in a Scottish Cup final uh, or sort of League Cup final, sorry. Um, the week before the, the final getting sacked, it was crazy. And then, you know, Maloney comes out of left field and only gets 19 games and we sell Martin Boyle uh, and don't replace him. And then Nisbet and Doidge gets injured and we've still never signed a striker to replace <laughs> like the one that we needed in the summer. Uh, and then Morgan Gordon comes out and says it's a good transfer window. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit concerning. Get, finding, signing wingbacks that get injured is not a good window. So, yeah, it's been a mess. Uh, I feel really sorry for the managers and... It's going to be a tough one, whoever comes in next. It's hilarious as well. I don't say hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious for you. It's not hilarious for us, but the parallels, again, are really similar. I mean, like, we've been crying out for a striker of some sort to join, um, certainly in the January window, um, because it became very clear that Jet was, well, Jet. He'd done a decent job at Livy, and it was effective in what they needed him to do. He was not, I was very surprised when you went for him. Like, I've seen a bit of him at Livy. He was never, i never seen him as an Aberdeen player. Yeah, I think we all had the idea that he'd done well at Levy. He got himself fit again. Surround him with 
quote unquote better players and you can maybe see the guy flourish and it started it started really well <laughs> and then yeah matter of weeks ago he had his contract terminated and he's now living up in dubai with his payoff money so wow all power to him but yeah that was one that did not work to say the least but then i think as well yeah in january yeah no striking options christian ramirez the one his goals have significantly dried up when steven glass got the sack i don't know if you've been aware of this but when i've never seen this from a footballer when a manager gets sacked Glass got the, the announcements made and Ramirez is just straight away on Twitter with the simple tweet of fuck. <laughs> angry face, angry face, angry face emoji. <laughs> Did he not post something else with his missus recently kind of hinting that he's going back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His, his missus did. His missus posted something on her like, Instagram and I think most people took the fact that she'd used the past tense about it's yeah. hard. To, it, it was hard to live in another country, right? So most people have gone because her and the kids have gone back to the States already and they were playing this as, oh, they're going back early before the end of the season for the summer holidays or whatever. But the fact she was like, oh, it's hard, it was hard living in a, in a foreign country. Everyone's just gone, well, it doesn't sound like you're coming back, <laughs> does it? And in no. fairness, like Ramirez's form has just gone off a cliff since Glasgow binned as well. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting like last like three months for us because we've literally got a striker who's effectively down tools, it looks like. Uh, we've got nobody else yeah and then just to top it all off like hibs we sold our most creative player in ryan hedges <laughs> yeah. and then just never really yeah. thought about you know getting a replacement in. so the fact that hibs got um a jasper in on like like the from full out of nowhere like at like five minutes past midnight it was kind of announced um and he was there was no top him he was still in london there was it was all done sort of down there the very last minute and like he's a he's a very exciting young prospect, but he's 19. And it's like, oh yeah, you're 19 and you're fast pace winner. Go and replace Martin Boyle, who's our best player. Like <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Um aye, crazy, crazy recruitment stuff. Just what is your kind of thoughts, Gavin, just about obviously the fact you guys are one up on us and the fact you've been two managers this season as opposed to just the one for us. In terms of Jack Ross being given the done, it seemed to me like it was a strange time to decide to bid him. I, I know that yeah. a lot of Hibs fans weren't happy with style of football and the results weren't great but it seemed like an odd time to bin him a week before a cup final there were there was a lot of parallels between uh Derek McInnes at Aberdeen and uh Jack Ross at Hibs you know he was getting results got third in the league but oh my god it was not you kind of dreaded going along uh, the stadium every week it was kind of like um and then to be, to be fair we started to see signs that they, that might be proven as the season um and Kyle McGuinness was scoring goals from midfield and then he got injured and then Jack Ross just didn't have a backup plan and whether you base that on him for not utilizing the players he had at the disposal or whether it is due to like the recruitment not getting people in place so that if a player like that gets injured who has a history of injuries and um, not being over reliant on him um and then like say he it was a, it was a strange one for him to go uh but I think the the kind of hearing that like the club were a bit concerned that the ticket num numbers like we weren't selling a lot of walk-ups and stuff and ticket numbers were down because there wasn't a, an exciting brand of football from Jack Ross so rather than giving them players to do it they just they sacked them uh, a week before a cup final when you know and, and he got the season before he got to the the semi-final uh, of one uh, one cup which kind of came, came over from the year before uh, they got to the league cup semi-final he got to the, the Scottish cup final against St Johnson so aye he, he was he was successful he got us third in the league first time in like 16 years Mm -hmm. um, it seemed really harsh and a bit too soon. I'm like, see, I kind of moaned on the podcast quite a lot about the style of play, but at the end of the day, I could see glimpses it was getting better, and then and then he's gone. Gav, you'll you'll agree with this as well. There's there's the, the parallels there with Derek McInnes in the latter years at Aberdeen that are like 
terrifying. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. Even just in the way the two of them carried themselves as individuals <laughs> as well. I don't know. Jack Ross preferred a quilted jacket as opposed mm. to Derek McInnes's gilet. But, yeah. you know. And Derek McInnes had a much better beard game. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, um, you could sense the discontent amongst the Hibs fans online. But yes, a week out from a final does seem like a very strange time to pull the trigger. And then, of course, after that, it's very quickly announced that Sean Maloney is the is going to be the head of the brave new world that Hibs are about to embark upon, much the same way Aberdeen did with Stephen Glass. Mm. And a matter of months later, it's it's over. What I know you've touched upon the recruitment, but what else do you think maybe went wrong that's meant that Maloney has found himself out the door? I think Maloney's main issue was he was like say like Belgium sort of play this three four three. He was convinced that's what we're going to play, and then he signs like the only apparently the only signing that was actually his was Liam Henderson, who doesn't fit into that formation. And <laughs> so then so Liam Henderson didn't play. Um, so then he had this this three four three formation, and what he sort of like you know like you see where it was I was kind of compared to Scotland with Tierney and Robertson on the left hand side, Tierney overlap, and that was kind of what he was wanting. And then Clark got injured, and then Mitchell got injured. That's two big players in terms of achieving that. Um, and 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 then in terms of what he was he was trying to implement, the the sort of dealing with the high press, the short uh, passes, playing in little triangles. We were seeing the defenders doing that, and some of the midfielders do that, but. We weren't seeing it in the final third of the park. And was that due to the style of play or was it because of the players that were there? Um, and, and maybe, like say, maybe if he had a fully fitness, but Martin Boyle still there and, a, and if Muller had been the player we'd kind of hope, then maybe this formation would have kind of been on fire. But like say, he stuck to it when, like, to, to me, my, what I was always saying on the podcast is like, we need to start winning. We're trying to get in the top six. Like, if, the, if, if there's going to, and he kept on talking about a summer rebuild, surely then you work with what you've got, you get back to basics, maybe switch to like a 4 2 3 1 or something, ground out a couple of results, maybe no pretty, get the, the, the wins, and then sign players that are going to work with a system and kick on from, from next season with it. But he was he stuck with it, he stuck with it, didn't have the players to do it. Um, Melkerson's a, a really young, exciting player, but is really not a lone striker yet. Um, and yeah, kind of stuck with it. And then we were with the goals dried up and you know, a lot like say one win in 13 games, it's kind of got the board asking questions and decided to move him on. Do you think as well with Maloney? Um, there's again, it's just like <laughs> it's like talking about Stephen Glass, right? Yeah, um, do you reckon though there, there's an element of like naivety as well about him in the sense of yeah, wanting to play in a certain way, not necessarily having the, the tools at his disposal to play that way, and even actually looking at going, yeah. <clears throat> this is a question I've been asking a lot on our pod this season is it. it can you play this way in Scotland if you don't have like really top top quality players at your disposal? Because how many times have I watched? No disrespect to the guys at, at Livingston, um, love the Almond V Pod boys, always a good laugh to have on the show. But like they just come up and fucking bully the shit out of a team like us when you're trying mm. to play play pretty triangles. And it's like unless you've got really good players to do this, who you can just play around them. If you don't have battlers in your team, it, it's kind of almost not the league to try this in. And Glass was quite dogmatic with this as well. Like he was insistent we were going to do this. And you're like, it ain't working, mate. Like you need to do something different. 
perfect example of it was um, Paul McGinn, who, you know, decent, solid right back, um, obviously got in the Scotland squad and stuff, um, but it really clearly isn't that kind of player, and also was out for two months. His first game back in, in two months from injury uh, at Hamden, semi-final against Hearts, him and Cadden are trying to do this little passing triangles and, and, and deal with the high press. Hearts just press them, immediately win the ball off McGinn, complete space because they've, they've uh, dispossessed Hearts really easily and Sims is in a lot of place to, I mean, great strike for him, but then it puts them up in the uh, one up in the cup semi-final and it's kind of downhill from there. Um, so like I say, it's, it's kind of, like you say, the, the player, he didn't have the players to do this at his disposal and tried to continue on anyway. Do you think as well though, of the board emptied him out a bit early? I mean, the cup semi-final performance was okay. Second half was better. First half you were a shambles until you score. Yeah, I, I was genuinely starting to believe that, you know, until Newell got sent off, like, we're going to get back in this. And yeah. then, um, and I, but, and even like, say, there was a moment where I think uh, one of the Hearts players had already been booked and then he pushes Portress and, and we got a free kick and I was like, oh my God, he's getting a second yellow and, and we're scoring this free kick and we're going to injure time, we're going to win it. And then neither of those things happened. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, I started to feel like, okay, maybe there is something here where the players are starting to buy into it. He just needs a bit of time and a bit of back in the summer. And then like two days later, he was gone. So what did I can? <laughs> I know this isn't a valid thing to bring up either, but with Sean Maloney, I just could never help but look past the fact that he looks like a child wearing his dad's clothes. Yeah, it didn't help. It didn't help. The big jacket was a strange choice. You know, yeah. we already spoke about managers, like attire, like, you know, but I had the big jacket was a, the Arsene Wenger sort of long jacket was a strange choice. <laughs> Yeah. It was this. It was kind of a bit of a disappointing one for me as well, in, in one way because, well, a on one side it was kind of funny, right? I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but on the other side, like Maloney was one of the guys I was like hoping we would have gone for when we went for Glass instead because I was me like I think a number of Aberdeen fans we were just sick and tired of the Derek McInnes yeah style of football that we had certainly in the last two or three seasons where results weren't results were okay but the football was just eye bleeding. So you're kind of looking for something different and you're like, okay, Maloney comes in here with... <laughs> yeah, so we switched it up for football. It's eye bleeding and no results. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, hindsight Again, is 20. the parallels <laughs> are identical. <laughs> yeah. um, but like Maloney was one of those guys that was like, interesting, talks a good game, well-renowned as a coach. The Belgian players all rate him really, really highly. He was working with, you're like, okay, cool. Let's see if he can come in do a job and then when we didn't go from for glass you kind of give glass the opportunity at the time it didn't work out when Hibs took Maloney I was like oh I'm really intrigued to see how this goes and then it just didn't but it's that same time where you're like I couldn't believe you guys emptied him out quite so soon without giving him like for me <clears throat> I didn't think you were in any danger of being relegated and no. you weren't going to finish top six it was clear but I mean, you know, at, at one point, you know, no one in, you know, from fourth down to tenth at one point, nobody was finishing the top six. Everyone just kept on cutting each other's throats. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like a really odd, odd decision to go for, which then brings us to, you know, where do you guys go now, do you think, in terms of a manager? We've obviously decided we're going pragmatic now, mm -hmm. which is not a surprise because, you you know, I guess when things haven't gone well, you automatically do the opposite of what you did the last time. Um, we're, we'll wait and see what happens with Jim Goodwin. Um, but... Down Leithway, Roy Keane's the <laughs> yeah. <of> town. <laughs> so are we going to go maybe just a little bit more mad this time? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, like, we, we put some things on the socials, and I was a bit surprised to see, like, when, when we asked, this is when it first happened, like, who do you want next? 
the biggest response seemed to be Neil Lennon, and I'm just like, no, please no. <laughs> um, but I think people, if you if you want somebody similar to, to Neil Lennon in terms of like the craziness and all that sort of comes along with it, and the passion and whatever, uh, Roy Keane fits the bill. Um, we we sort of used that as our episode title, got quite a few extra hits off the back of it, so I'll take that. Uh, but I think that's it's kind of starting to die down now. I can't see it happening. Um, I mean, it would be crazy if it did, but I think Roy Keane's kind of start his name's starting to kind of fall down the pecking order in terms of the bookies if, and and things are starting to come out that maybe it's not coming to much. If I'm honest, I think, like say, I, I hate to have a go at the guy, but I think if uh, like if Roy Keane came in and had a chat with Ron Gordon and Ian Gordon and was like, right, who are you? I'm his son. Uh, like, uh, what, what's your background in football i've never been in football before but i decide what players you're signing i, I, I go on wise scout a lot though so it's fine um <laughs> like i think it just nah nah i'm all right and i just worry any manager will have that conversation and go like they'll want to have you know a choice on who to sign and look at the previous two managers getting sacked when they did and be really concerned so yeah it's going to be a tough one to kind of convince anybody to take it in a weird way as well that makes it almost all the more mad that maloney took the job in that sense because for his first managerial gig you'd be expecting he'd want to be pretty much in control of most things so that ultimately if it doesn't work out for him he can at least be like right well that was absolutely 100% on mm. me it sounds like a really odd situation for a guy especially like Maloney to come into and go yeah you know what I'll go with that I could totally understand if you brought in like a, a foreign coach who's used to working in that sort of environment and that sort of sphere Um, I wonder I mean who is currently the moment the bookies favorite for the, I haven't looked for a little while now but who is uh, I think Appleton was kind of high up but then he's also favorite okay. for the Blackburn job at the same time um and he he was linked to us before but I think he was actually the favorite before Heckenbottom got it. and then the talk is that Hibs offered uh sort of like um in the first six months if it doesn't work out we can get rid of you and then we'll have to pay you three months wages and he went nah no thanks I'm out um, and I, I'm guessing Hibs have kind of had that considering they got rid of Maloney after five months rather than keeping them on. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that's why he's one of the reasons he's gone. But so I, I don't know. He, he's kind of up there again. Um, I think, like, say something, there was a little bit about Tony Mowbray, but he seemed to make it clear that he kind of wants to spend time with his family. So I don't think he's coming back. Uh, I don't want to touch Malky Mackay. He's uh, like, say, the, the Hibs are meant to be a family club and community club. And yeah. I, and he's no a thanks. big, mad fucking racist. Yes, pretty much. Um, so no thanks for him. So I don't know. I really don't know. Like I said, none of the names really inspire me. Um, there's a lot of you know people saying, "Oh, get, give it to like Ian Murray or Kevin Thompson." It's like we, we kind of just go to former players who have had little to no experience. I know Kevin Thompson's won League Two, but that's not give you the the credit credibility to kind of manage Hibs. So I don't know. I really uh, there's not a name that I'm like, oh yes, him, hundred percent. I'm I'm really unsure at the moment. I was just saying, Jake, they might look foreign just because of the structure. Potentially, um, like I said, no, like Philip Koku's been mentioned, which is like um, crazy, but um, maybe something like that, maybe some American that we've never heard of. I was going to um, ask, does Rod Gordon have another son? <laughs> maybe. You could get, was it Bob Bradley? I, he, I, he always, like the last two times, because I think he's an American owner, he's always appeared on the betting slip. Because, nice. like, who's American? Who, we can, who can we chuck on? <laughs> um, so I. I'd rather Ted Lasso than Bob Bradley, if I'm honest. But, yeah. <laughs> we'll take that reference. I get told a lot I look like Ted Lasso, so I will absolutely have that. Um, not just now with the hair. Um, tell you what, I'll throw a name in the mix. Go on, Gav. Getting linked with a couple of jobs this week. That's Scott Brown. Another one that's sort of like an ex-player that's not got the experience. Um, it'd be another guy. It's like, just, what's the, like, what's the difference between him and Maloney? Maloney's had more experience in coaching. Um, yeah. 
I think we need to get somebody with a bit more experience. Like I say, I, I'd, I'd love to see Scott Brown involved in some sort of management team if he was up for it, but um, I, I, know I, but, <laughs> I don't know. It didn't work out too well for us. <laughs> so, I mean, like, say, can I briefly ask what, what happened? Because like, was, it, was it the fact that, like, Goodwin was like, no, nah, I'm a bit more hands-on and your responsibilities will be less, or was there more to it than that? Basically, yeah, Goodwin, from the sounds of it, came in and said that he's very much, I think actually he's used the exact words, he's a control freak on the training right. ground, and there would not be space for Scott Brown to continue his coaching education. And when that became clear, I think it was, yeah, best for everyone that we part ways it can walk away yeah yeah it, it was a bit of a funny one because Scott Brown also put in <clears throat> quite possibly one of the worst century mid- midfield performances by an Aberdeen player I've ever seen at Tynecastle just after Goodwin came in it was Goodwin's second or third game and I don't know as well if that just made Goodwin's mind up about I don't mm. really fancy you as a player now and also I've got nothing to offer you from a coaching perspective I can understand it from Goodwin's perspective it'd be a bit weird to be having like like the rest of Glass's coaching staff all got emptied alongside Glass and Brown was still hanging about because obviously he had a playing contract. So I can kind of understand it would be a bit weird for Goodwin to have this one remnant of the old regime hanging around. And I think there was a lot of talk as well at the time that when Glass got binned, Brown actually, I think, went to Dave Cormack and that was like, look, I should go too. Mm. Like I'm kind of part of the unit. And at that point, it was like, well, no, you're still on a playing contract. You're going to stay. Then he interviewed for the St. Mirren job, which I think, if he'd got that, that would have been ideal for everybody because he could have just like disappeared off there. We could have probably got <clears throat> someone to buy out the rest of his playing yeah. contract or something. Fine and done. When that didn't happen, I think it became pretty clear there that his 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 time was uh, his time was up here. So um, yeah, a bit, a bit of a weird one from that perspective. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what you guys do. I, do you think it'll be the summer before you guys appoint someone now? Well, I mean, that, that was kind of like the original plan. Um, and I don't think the, the results don't matter too much. But um, I think they're, they're, there's talk that they're concerned about the season ticket sales not being great. So they're like, oh, we better get a manager now to try and be like, boost the sales. So they might do it sooner than, than originally planned. But at the same time, I don't know. Um, it's, it's tough to call with this regime. <laughs> An awkward time to appoint a manager, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I said, I don't know if you would oversee it. Like I said, they've already announced today's taking the rest of the game. So do they go back on that and then have this new manager come in and take, or does he just sit in the stands and oversee three games? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It'd be a weird one. Um, it's been a funny campaign from Hibs' perspective as well, because like normally I associate Hibs with like you score a lot of goals, but you ship a lot of goals as mm-hmm. well. That's just my normal stereotypical. That that's my Hibs default position. But for you guys this season, goals have been a massive problem. You've only got thirty-two. In the, in the league this season that's only St Mirren Dundee and St Johnston have scored less St Johnston by a fucking shitload less because they're just yeah. honking in front of goal um, Martin Boyle's still your top scorer despite the fact he went to the Middle East in January um, but then weirdly conversely defensively you seem to tighten up under Maloney which was not what I was expecting yeah. you've got the fourth best defensive record in the league it's been a bit of a weird hip side from that perspective looking from the outside yeah, there was like three games on the bounce where it was like nil, 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 uh, which kind of summed up the, the kind of majority of the season. Um, like say, I think, you know, he kind of got, we were kind of, I, I think it was, other than the sort of Celtic one, which was a kind of, um, you know, good performance, th- there was a lot of teams coming to Easter Road or, or us playing against teams and teams going, right, well, you don't have the pace of Martin Boyle anymore. So we're just going to sit deep. You're not going to be able to break us down and we're going to try and hit you on the attack and try and sneak it. Um, like say, perfect example of that was like Ross County. Uh, we couldn't break them down. We couldn't. This is our last win at Easter Road, like over two and a half months ago or something. Um, and we couldn't break them down. 
they were trying the occasional odd counter-attack, which was coming to nothing. And then it takes two contenders for goal of the season for Jake Doyle Hayes hits from distance for us to actually win a game. Um, and and it, it was it was kind of that's kind of been a lot of the games under Maloney was um teams sitting deep, us us not having no idea how to break them down, uh, not scoring goals and and kind of teams either hitting us in the, on the break and kind of snatching it or us just seeing it out in a nil-nil. You guys were really busy as well in January. You you, you signed a lot of players in January. Um, if, if I'm right, things a lot of them are still under contract, aren't they? Beyond the end of the season as well. So uh, there was like um, we signed Mitchell permanently, and then there was Clark, who's like a loan. Um, yeah. We don't have an option to buy, and then Rocky and Jasper, who are loans, but we've got the option to buy them. Um, and then, like I say, we've signed Henderson on a pre-contract uh, and got him on loan. Um, so he's already our player for like three years after the season, and then uh, Melkerson, who I had like four and a half year deal or uh, something. And there was another Norwegian lad as well, wasn't there from Portugal? Yeah, um, Haig or something, but he's uh, hardly been involved. I, 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 gen- I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he's a decent player, but I really feel like they just went, oh, let's help them. Really, we've invested a lot of money in this Melkerson. Let's get my friend to uh, <laughs> help him settle in. Oh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Paul Gascoigne, Jimmy Five Bellies situation. Yeah. It, 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 it does it all over again. Yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong. Like I, say, I hope the lad proves me wrong, but yeah, that's kind of yeah. the vibe it gets off because he's not been anywhere near it. Gav, your girlfriend's Norwegian. How do we how do we translate Jimmy Five Bellies? Jimmy Five Bellies. Yeah, we need to ask that. That's what we need to I'll find. Tell you what, let me ask her now. Okay. Excellent. Love it. Um, but that in a way also creates a potential problem for a new manager coming in, isn't it? You've 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 signed a lot of players there who are gonna be there beyond the summer. It makes it difficult for a new man coming in to really shape a squad and his image when you've got so many players. You'll be like Aberdeen, you're working with a reasonably sized budget for the SPFL, but it's still in real terms is quite a tight budget yeah and that'll be an interesting dynamic for for you guys going forward we, we we've we've taken a slightly different approach jim goodwin's just gone in like a fucking bull in a china shop and told half the team he thinks they're shite and they're not getting their contracts yeah, i've seen, seen like some of that getting leaked that was nuts and <laughs> um, you know we've got as we gav touched on earlier on you know jet's currently living his best life in dubai tucking into like 400 pound stakes when by rights, you should be at least warming the bench for us, um, yeah. not with any danger coming on the pitch. Well, no, I mean, by by all rights, he should not be here. Um, <laughs> oh, here we, we have go. a little question for you. <laughs> How would you translate Jimmy Five Bellies into Norwegian? Just don't think about the question. Just, <laughs> yeah. Norwegian is a complicated language. I've learned that. <laughs> Come on, Matilda, no pressure. Silence is, you know, killing a podcast. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I know it makes no sense. I think we're, I think we're having a somewhat breakdown. Well, Come on, here yeah, we go. Fem magi, you me. Fem magi. Fem is five. Uh-huh. Mag is with a stomach, belly. Uh huh. Yeah. Excellent. Me is how we would say Jimmy. There you go. There just you one go. more time. Fem magi, you me. Excellent. Love it. <laughs> That was worth it, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God, we should get a subscription-based service for that kind of shit. Thank Absolutely. you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I will try and explain that later. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we see Saturday going then, Gavin? I think, like, say, like I said earlier on, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how Aberdeen will kind of approach it, but I can see Aberdeen, you know, coming to Easter Road, kind of making it difficult for Hibs to break down. Hibs, who had zero shots on target against uh, Livingston, and the first <laughs> shot on target was the goal against St. Mern in the 76th minute. 
it's, it's not exactly a difficult challenge to keep us quiet, but I'm sure you'll, you'll achieve that. And then, like, say, players on the um, the break or, you know, I know um, Ferguson's, I know a lot of them been penalties, but he can chip in my goal and stuff. So, yeah, I think he's going to find a way through. Um, I, I, I want to be positive and say, you know, Hibs are going to win 2-0, but going off the evidence, I, I don't see it coming. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, right? I mean, like, if you're not, like, having shots on target, like, we don't create a lot of chances at all full stop so it almost sounds to be like a proper nil nil <laughs> complete Saturday Easter Road come on down <laughs> yeah exactly like <laughs> complete proper dead rubber nothing's yeah. happening nobody gives a shit the season's over I, I, I can't see anything other than that to be quite honest with you it is going yeah. to be either a nil nil draw that could get football shut down as an entertainment sport <laughs> or it could be like a 5-4 classic because neither team can defend <laughs> well hips can defend that is the that's that a fair point no 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 and then port just coming back so you know nil nil nah, I'll, I'll go for the nil nil him and ramirez can just get it back on again yeah high <laughs> round two let's go <laughs> ramirez has got nothing to lose this time so he doesn't <laughs> get lump on a red card for christian ramirez then there we go yeah nothing season lose. ends earlier flight back to la exactly Sorted. he's already booked it he's just he's laughing <laughs> excellent <laughs> Get me bet three six five right now. <laughs> I love it. I think we'll wrap up there. That's that's taking a bit longer than I thought we were going to, but um, it's always good to get an insight into how other teams have been this season when you don't really get to watch them very often. It's, I think it's really therapeutic, therapeutic <laughs> to hear that I'm not. We're not alone. You know, we're, we're this is a, a real struggle and kind of you know to kind of know that other people are getting laughed at by everyone else in the league is nice to know. And we're <laughs> laughing just... at each other at points. We're quite honest. We've been laughing at each other as well. So yeah. Exactly. How, how disappointing is it? I mean, I, was, I said this earlier on, I was just like to wrap it up, but like the two of us have just gift wrapped third place to hearts, haven't we, this season? Yeah. It's yeah. Just like, hey, go, boys, just on you go. You don't even have to be that good. I mean, it's more galling, I imagine, for you guys because it's obviously closest rivals and that. But even for us, it's like, holy fucking shit, what are we doing here? I mean, we're even let United stroll to fourth place finish now, which United are honking as well. United, yeah. <laughs> on the opening day of the season, United were one of the worst teams I've ever seen. I've called it. It's up. I don't have to go that far back in history to find a Hearts team that will wipe the floor with the current team. Craig Gordon's the big difference, ultimately. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, all round. I think we speak for all of us to say it's just not been good enough this year. No. Yeah, just like, like call the season. Come on, let's go on. Let's go on our summer and uh, excited over, you know, recruitment and stuff and yeah, new signings. But uh, it's, it's tough to know. All the best. Here, Gavin. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining us. Gavin Wilson from the Hibs Talk podcast. Yes, thank you very much. I'm sure we'll talk to you maybe next season. Look forward to it. Excellent. Take care. So, that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break as we bring you the first instalment of our chat with the legendary Gothenburg great John Hewitt. To play us out this half, here are the AB70 Dodgers with their brand new track, Stellar Circus Lady. Tracks available in all of your usual streaming locations, Check out the links in the podcast description. So here's the AP70 Dodgers with Stellar Circus Lady. Down on the sawdust, the acrobats perform. Dribblers play with Clowns doing cartwheels make me shed a 
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Maritime Developments Limited, leaders in portable flex lay technology. Did you know that MDL are the only provider of rental pipe play tensioners with a track record above 4.5 metres per unit? Their pioneering TTS4 range includes systems with 5 metres and 5.5 metre track contact length, which are still road transportable, like the rest of their rental equipment range. Pair that with one of MDL's HLS packages for a flexi solution that can be customised to any vessel and available deck space. 
Get inspired by the innovative systems at maritimedevelopments.com. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we get on to the interview segment, we'd just like to give Craig Reid a shout out for his contributions to the ABZ Beer Slash Coffee Fund. We see you, Craig. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffee, head over to ko-fi.com slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link's in the description. You buy us a beer or a coffee, whatever. It's much appreciated. Thank you again, Craig. And moving on, we're delighted to bring you part one of our in-depth and exclusive conversation with a boyhood Aberdeen fan who got to live the ultimate schoolboy dream, not only pulling on the red shirt, not only scoring a hat-trick against Rangers, not only winning titles and cups, but he is the man who scored the winning goal in a European final. It's the one and only John Hewitt. And in part one, we talk through John's burgeoning youth career, his breakthrough into the first team, and getting his hands on the Scottish Cup in 1982. John Hewitt, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. John, how's it going? Great, thanks very much, Gary. John, listen, delighted to have you on the show. Um, you are the first of the Gothenburg greats. We've had the pleasure of getting on the show, so we're delighted to get you on board. So let's just get started, I guess. Born in Aberdeen, 9th of February 1963. Just talk to us a little bit about your upbringing in the city. Brought up um, in the sort of, well, actually, it was Kitty Brewster area that I uh, was brought up in, you know, and when I was just a five, six-year-old kid, um, my parents had a flat there. And then they moved to a council flat in Kencry Road. And that was when I was in primary, I think it was primary six. Moved from Kitty Brewster up to Cornhill, and I was there, and that's where it all started for me, you know. Got in with um, a lot of guys who were really good football players as well. It, it, little did I know, it, a, a, a seven, eight-year-old, that I was going to be playing football, school football for, Corn, for Cornhill with guys that turned, were going to turn out to be really good players as they progressed in life as well, you know, so... A great time. I'm, I'm actually back in the area as well now. I, I, I actually live quite close to where I was brought up. So it's just one of these things, you know, it's nice to be here. Can you remember when the footballing bug caught you? Hey, oh, good question. I would say probably when I came up to Cornhill, you know, I started playing uh, in the school playground. You know, it was one of these things. First thing in the morning, you, you used to meet your pals early and the school bugs were down, and, and that was you. That was a goal, and I was maybe a jacket, and another school bug down, and another goal. And then you just kicked about the ball till the, the teacher sh- shouted you in to, to get into your line to go into class. Yeah. And then in your play break, you were back out playing again at lunchtime. You know, it was just it was just constant playing football all the time, and that's where that's where it all sort of stemmed from. Uh, I remember those days well. It was a little bit later with me, but I still remember it. Um... John, it's been well documented. You know, you were you were an Aberdeen fanatic growing up. Um, your favourite player, the King, the man himself. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I'm very fortunate to be very friendly with Joe. You know, I used to go and watch him when I was a young boy with my cousins in the beach end, and uh, Joe was my idol. And uh, I was lucky enough to actually 
play with Joe as well, you know, at the, at the yeah. back end of his career, but now we're just sort of breaking into the Aberdeen side. So uh, still keeping contact with Joe. We, we have a Wednesday night chat with all the boys as well, you know, Bobby Clark, Willie Miller, Joe, everybody's on it. So it's great to, great to see everybody. But uh, yeah, the way Joe was my, he was my idol as a, as a player. Great stuff. He was at the fan zone yesterday at the bottom. He's looking well, um, the King, so all, all good there. Uh, and as you just touched on, you know, Joe Harper's banging in the goals for the Dons. You're forming a, a reputation of your own for your own goal-scoring exploits at that point in primary school and then juvenile football. Cornhill, you just touched on him a minute ago. Uh, the first primary from Aberdeen to win the Scottish Cup in the 33 years with you playing a, a key role yeah. there. And then into secondary school, the goals keep flowing alongside another Scottish Cup for the Aberdeen secondary select alongside a certain... Tati Cooper, now at this point, are you thinking, I've got a chance here at making a, a career in this game? Well, I always uh, wanted to be a, a professional football player. You know, you have your dreams when you're a young boy. I'm not any different from anybody else, you know. And when I played football at school, I, I was blessed with one thing, and that was that I could run. You know, I was very quick. And uh, my schoolmates just used to knock the ball over the back fours that we were playing against, and I was on to like a whip it. And I, I would score uh, loads of goals, you know, in school football. And uh, it just sort of progressed from there. And as you say, um, I started playing for the, the, the Cornhill school school side when I was in primary six. And and then primary seven, we, we, we sort of dominated the primary school football in Aberdeen because I was lots of other guys, Alistair Brenner, Colin Strachan, Ian Martin, Wilson Robertson, you know, we had a great great school football team and all these boys went on to play football at a higher level when they, when they, they, they left school. So it just progressed from there. Uh, as you say, we were the first uh, Aberdeen side in 33 years to win the Scottish Cup at primary school level. And then we moved into secondary school. And then we used to go and train at Petaudry on a Monday night with Lenny, uh, Lenny Taylor and Bobby Clark. They, they, were, they were a different class, you know. Uh, Aberdeen gave us the opportunity to go down and train at the, the, the Red Blaze car park, which we did. And Teddy used to bring in all the, the amateur sides and the, the Highland League teams and all. And it was great for us, you know, and we used to beat them as well, you know. So it was it was a great upbringing. Um, and uh, we progressed, as, as, as you know, that we went to the final and we managed to, although we didn't win it outright, we, we, we actually shared it with Ayrshire, but we should have really beat them, you know. It was one of these, we won 1-0 up here and then we lost 1-0 down there. But um, it, it, it was good, you know, as I say, we never lost it. We shared it. Uh, but at the same time, although we won it, we were still a bit disappointed because we know we should have won it, you know, over the Aye. two legs, we were a better team. You just, you just mentioned a few names there, uh, guys like Lenny Taylor, Bobby Clark, Teddy Scott. Anyone else that you would say or, or on top of those three that were kind of key figures for you in your youth kind of career? In my youth career, well... I've also got um give a, a sort of special mention to my dad because he was the one that sort of got me interested in football when I was a kid, you know, and he was always there, very supportive at watching my school football. And again, uh, when I moved to secondary school, you know, and then, then in the early days when I, I was uh, sort of playing for Aberdeen Reserve side, he would come along and watch a game. So um I gotta give him a special mention. Bobby and Lenny Lenny, as you said, uh, great coaches. School teachers, um, a, a guy called Ed McKenzie, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, oh, there was many. I, knew, I mean, I was a, one of my arts teachers, Graham Spy. Um, 
Dave Swanson, you know, it was, these guys were all teachers at school, but in our school break, they used to, I used to go to Hilton Academy, so mm-hmm. they would take us across to the Stuart Park and we would, we'd play football with, with, with the teachers and that, you know, and it was, it was great. Um, so a lot to thank these boys for, um, guys that, as I say, went for a, I played before I played professional, I played for Middlefield Boys Club. Uh, and that we had people like Peter Freeland, uh, Mike Hulse, guys that um, were, you know, in these days, these guys gave up their time to, to sort of manage the, the, the boys' club sides and that, you know, and it was great because we don't we didn't only just play local football. Uh, uh, Middlefield were a big club back then, and yeah. we used to go down and play in Easter Craig's tournaments. We, we went everywhere and played in, in competitions, and it was great exposure for the Aberdeen players and uh, up and uh, from was playing for Merrifield at the same time, you know. Absolutely, uh, we just touched on it. I mean, the Scottish Cup final uh, for the secondary select in nineteen seventy eight. Now, I think the story goes that a certain Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, or Alex Ferguson as he was at the time, takes his place in the stand. He'd been recently appointed as Aberdeen manager, uh, taking over from Billy McNeil. And, and your performance in that day only serves to confirm to Fergie that he wants to sign you. I think I'm right in thinking he'd all he'd already been looking at you when he was sitting in boss. Yeah, um, Sir Alex phoned, he phoned me up and asked me to come down to sit in. But as a schoolboy, um, without blowing my trumpet, I had quite a lot of clubs that were showing interest for me, you know. And I was down in Manchester United for, well, it was supposed to be a week's trial, but uh, after the second day, Dave Sexton took me into his office and asked me to sign for Manchester United, you know. But I, I didn't have the courage to say him no, so he flew back up to Aberdeen with me the following day to meet the folks uh, up in the treetops hotel. He'd booked himself in there. Uh, we had something to eat, and uh, he was trying to persuade my mum and dad that I should sign for Manchester United. But I knew deep down inside where, where I wanted to sign for and where I was going to sign for. I just couldn't say it to him, you know, so I sent him back down to Manchester the next day, and I said to him I would give him a call to let him know and it just so happened that Alec Ferguson had just uh, been announced as the Aberdeen manager. And uh, himself and uh, uh, the chief scout at the time, Bobby Calder, they made it priority to come up to my mum and dad's uh, flat in, in Cairncry Road. And um, I was a Sir Alec's very first sign. And I think he'd only been at Petori for a day. and then But he, he was up at my house the following day uh, to, to make sure that, uh, or try to get me to sign for Aberdeen. Little did he know that I was going to be signing for Aberdeen. You know, I'd always wanted to play for Aberdeen because being a local boy and being a supporter of the club as well, you know, I just felt that that's where my heart belonged to, you know. So um, I had to sort of tell one or two other managers of some of the big clubs down in England that I was going to be staying with my local team. And then, yeah, exactly on your 16th birthday, as soon as you possibly can, 9th of February 1979, you signed for your boyhood team. Just how amazing a moment was that for you just to get to sign for the Dons? Of course it is. I mean, it's what you dream about doing. You know, as I say, all younger younger boys have got that aspiration about being a professional football player. And uh, I was very fortunate enough to be given that opportunity. And uh, when I did sign for Aberdeen, you know, uh, little did I know that the, the, the career and success that I, I would have with the football club was just unbelievable. And a first appearance for the first team arrives pretty quickly. It's a friendly with Leicester City at Patoja. You come off the bench to replace... A certain Steve Archibald. It's fair to say we were pretty blessed with a a, a pretty storied line of strikers back in those days. Um, now, although it's only a friendly match, um, you're probably like me, John. Back in the day, school finals and stuff used to get played at Petardry. Yeah. So you know, 
it's great to play Tawdry, but what's it like to do it in the red shirt? Oh, it's amazing. You know, I mean, I, I remember the game. It was a Leicester City and it was a friendly, you know, but I'd actually, uh, Sir Alex had called, called me up when I was 15 to play for the reserves, you know, so, uh, because I, but at the time I, I, I was having sort of issues with my, my boys club, you know, and I, it was just one of these things. So he decided that it was time for me to, to come up and start getting involved with the reserve team. So um, I was up, called up and then I think it was like within a couple of games I, I was starting to play Teddy sort of pushed me in and, and then that was me I was playing regular in the reserves at 15 come 16 and then as you say I got I got my debut against Leicester you know I, I came on and played sort of wide left if I remember correctly and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it 15th of December 1979 Fergie hands you a 16 year old a first start in a home Premier Division fixture against St Mirren, ironically enough. Did the gaffer give you much of an indication in the run-up to the game that he was going to give you a start? I, I, to be quite honest with you, I can't remember, but I think he maybe possibly said something to me on the Friday, you know, because Friday we always used to have a, like a sort of short session at training and then he would have maybe sort of called me into his office and said, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity tomorrow and, you know, being a, a young boy who was, was like so with, with Tati Cooper and boys like that, Andy Dorn and Eric Black, these guys, we were all in the ground staff, so we all had our chores to do, yeah. clean boots, washing manager's car, yeah. clean out the dressing rooms, the boot room, everything. So uh, when he told us that I was going to be involved and to get myself up the road, you know, it was great because <laughs> I could sort of say to the rest of the boys, uh, I've got, the manager says, I've got to go home, you know, so... Um, it was great. It was great excitement. I was looking forward to the game, you know, the, the next day. And uh, like everybody else, you go home at night and you can't get to sleep because you're dreaming of all the wonder goals you're going to score and whatever. But uh, it was great. Yeah, I look, really look forward to it. Do you remember much about the game itself or is this one of those that's just, just gone by in a flash? Uh, I don't. I, I really don't. But I, I, if, I'm, if I'm right in saying... I scored, I think I scored uh, against him, and that was one of the sides I scored. It could have been when my first goal, but um, I wouldn't like to say a definite, but I do remember scoring against, well, was it Simmerin? No, it was maybe Simmerin or Morton, I can't remember. I've got your well, I've got your first goal for the Dons, first professional proper yeah. ones, like, it's Berwick Rangers in the League Cup. Mm. It's the same day that Mark the Clerk scores. Oh, no, no, I would have scored before then. Yeah, uh, yeah. See, that's, that's the AFC Heritage site for you there then, you know? <laughs> no, I remember that game because I scored directly from my corner kick. There we go, there we go. Down, it was down in Berwick and Mark scored, kicked the ball out of his hands and I... the goalkeeper came out and it bounced right <laughs> over him and hit the goal. But no, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I scored. Um, I remember scoring uh, at Petaudry and I think it was Morton or St Mirren. Because it was like a half volley. We'll come on to that again in a minute, I guess, I think. Um, we'll, we'll come back on. We'll go back through just um, that initial run in the team, just at the early days. I mean, obviously, 2 no win in your debut against St Mirren. Um, the Dons keeping up quite a solid start to the league campaign that year. Some further appearances for you in the first team um, as we move into 1980 as well. But then you kind of drop out of the team a little bit at that point. I'm not sure if this is injury or, or whatever it was, but obviously that's the point where the Dons chase down Celtic to to win that first league title since 1955. Now, obviously, you'll have been delighted to have been for the club as a supporter to have, to have won the league. But we have, we bit gutted to have kind of missed out being in the side in that run in. Or well, it was one of these things. You know, there was so many uh, 
good experienced players at, at the club at that time. And, I, and, and I'm, with me being a 16-year-old, I wasn't be expected to be playing regular football for the foot, uh, for Aberdeen right. Football Club then, you know. And I think what Sir Alex was good at was he would take you in and put you out in certain games where he felt that he, he could give you good exposure and you could sort of hold your own in these games, you know. So you're, you're right in saying, yeah, that first season I played maybe a handful of games or whatever, you know, it wasn't many, uh, but it, it was great to be part of the side, um, and then obviously the guys went down to East, uh, Easter Road and done the business there to win the, win the title. Fergie still talks about it to this day, I mean, just even just in his recent, you know, the, the recent uh, homecoming and everything, the statue unveiling, he still spoke about it, that, that getting that league title win that day really lit the spark under, you know, what that amazing Aberdeen side went on to do in the next, you know, in the next decade just give everyone with the club that belief that anything could be possible. Just on Fergie himself, I mean, if you can, because you're obviously still just breaking through the first team at this point as well. He's still really early in his managerial career. What was it like to work with him during that period? And just what was your own relationship like with him? Yeah, well, when Sir Alex first came in, you know, I think he'll be the first to tell you that he found it quite diff- difficult, you know, to settle in Aberdeen and... Obviously, we'd never experienced a manager like Sir Alex, you know, and, and we knew that uh, he was only looking out for people that were winners. So if you weren't a winner, then basically there was the front door and see you later, you know. He, he wanted you to jump on board um, and he started to implement things at, at, at the training and at the football club. And as I say, just... I mean, every, football was everything, you know, and if you weren't a winner, you, he was, you were no use to him. He was only interested in guys that were winners. Fortunately, he inherited a squad that most of them were, you know, and mm. he installed that belief into the, the younger ones like myself, Eric, um, Neil, Brian Gunn, Andy Dornan, you know, these younger ones that were sort of uh, coming through from school football and, and joining the football club that... Um, that was good times ahead for everybody, you know. And just on a personal level with you, how was how was your relationship with Fergie at the time? Yeah, I mean, my my relationship with the manager was great, you know. Well, I mean, everybody has their, their ups and downs, you know, and your good periods, your bad periods, you know. But that's part and parcel of football, you know. If he, if he drops you, then you've got to let him see that you're willing to fight for your place and get back into the team. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've got great respect for, for Sir Alex, Um I'm very fortunate enough that I'm I'm uh, sort of invited down from one of my my, my very best friends who were playing his golf uh, day down in Manchester every year, you know. So we've, we've missed it the last couple of years because of the Aye. COVID thing, but we're down this year, so we're really looking forward to it. We'll see him again, and uh, uh, so it'll be good. But um, I missed him. I missed him up when he was up for the unveiling of his, his statue because I had COVID. Oh, nightmare. So I, couldn't, I couldn't get along on the Friday, you know, and uh, poor Archie Knox was the same. Archie was up, and then he was the feeling not great on the Friday morning and tested, and he was the same. So he had to jump in the car and head back down the road. So... Um, disappointing because it would be nice to see him and also nice to see some of the boys as well that were up yeah. for the occasion but uh, I'm sure we'll we'll see each other again very soon Absolutely and um, for you on a personal level as well you're still only 17 at the end of that campaign but you've now been in and around the first team with a handful of appearances going into the 80-81 season are you just hoping to get a wee bit more of a chance get some more games just try and get yourself properly established into that first team? 
Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. You know, it's when you get the opportunities to go in, play well, let them see that you're you're there and you're hopefully there to stay. You know, but the the, the, the one thing about Sir Alex was he knew. Uh, like for instance, when I when we Aberdeen played Dundee United, I knew that I was going to be starting that game because that was a team I always <laughs> used to do really well against, you know, and I used to score uh, plenty of goals against Dundee United. So um, I always felt that I had a chance of starting when we played United, and most of the times I did. And that 1980-81 season, it gets off to a really good start, actually. The uh, the Driver Cup returns to Pataudry. Um, Dons are actually unbeaten in the league until the 6th of December, a 1-0 defeat away at Morton. Uh, Morton, of course, at that point, are absolute bogey side. Um, we just touched on it, 30th of August, 1980, the League Cup. That's uh, the game away at Berwick. Uh, you score, uh, putting Aberdeen 2-0 up against Berwick. And then, uh, as we just touched on, uh, Mark de Clerk making his debut for Aberdeen. Scores direct from his own penalty box. What can you remember about that one? That's one that's like gone down in Aberdeen folklore. Yeah, it was obviously it was a very windy day down in Berwick, you know. And uh, I just remember Mark just punting this thing, and it was like felt like it was in the air forever. And their goalkeeper actually bounced just inside their penalty box, and he tried to come out, misjudged the bounce, and it bounced straight over him and straight into the back of the net. It's not a bad record for a goalkeeper, is it? Played two, scored one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, in the next round of the League Cup, um, I kind of feel we have to talk about this. Uh, in the first leg at Ibrox, there's that infamous incident with Willie Johnson stamping on in the neck of John McMaster. You'd just yeah. come off the bench, I think, about 10 minutes before that. Can you remember much about that incident itself? And then what was the reaction in the dressing room after the game about what had just happened there? The only thing I remember about that game is Big Doug Rugby chasing, uh, I think it was Derek <laughs> Johnson up the tunnel at Ibrox, you know? It was it was a crazy game, and the incident itself was hor- horrific, you know. But it was one of these things, you know. That, that was the thing about Sir Alex, you know, when we went to Ibrox and places like the, in like Parkhead and like these places, that he installed that belief that we were better than them and that mm-hmm. we could compete with them in their own backyard, and we had the players to do that, you know. And and then that was the, it was the the courage and the belief to go and do it, he installed that into us, you know, and nine times out of ten, we would go down there and, and sort of get a good result. So that was the start of what was to, to follow in the coming years. Yeah, because I think it's the season before, isn't it? I think where we go down and we get a draw, or it might even be Fergie's first year in charge and the guys are kind of celebrating a draw at Ibrox, I think it is, and like Fergie's going ballistic about it because he's like, that's just not good enough. And yeah. it's from that point on, and incidents like this, I always think that always must have helped galvanise and develop that kind of siege mentality a little bit as well that the team had, not just about having to beat, you know, the two Glasgow teams in Glasgow, but having to beat everything that goes alongside it as well, you know, like the, the yeah. pressures on referees and all that kind of good stuff. The European Cup adventure comes to an end when we're drawn with eventual winners, Liverpool. Now you come off the, the bench in both those legs. Just talk about that experience from those two games against Liverpool and you know, did that fuel a fire both within the manager and the squad to develop further in Europe? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, Liverpool then were the best side in Europe at the time, you know, and drawing them at, uh, in the both legs, home and then away, was uh, it was a real learning curve for, for everybody at the football club. You know, also the senior players and also the younger players like myself and that who were coming through just to see how good, you know, to get to the very top in European football what you had to achieve and, and the players that Liverpool had at the side were a phenomenal team. Yeah. Um, 
it was a great experience. Um, unfortunately, Johnny McMaster took a bad one in, uh, at Petodri and um, it was a bad tackle for Ray Kennedy. But, you know, these things happen in football. And then the um, the second leg at Anfield, um, that was the, <laughs> the, true, the true quote from Drew Jarvey. It was three quick goals in my body. Game, you know, it was at half time in the dressing room. So, um, but it was it was great experience to, to, to play against these quality players and also to go down to Anfield and see Anfield as well, you know. And and it, it, it sort of it fueled the fire for us to, to get back and compete and, and Europe again the following season and try and, and get a little bit further. Yeah, the, the league campaign kind of falters a little bit after the turn of the year. There's Draws against like the St. Mirren, Airdrie, Rangers, United, and Celtic, coupled with defeats to Morton, a couple of defeats to Kilmarnock. Eventually, sees Aberdeen finishing runners up to Celtic, finishing seven points adrift. Can you remember at the end of that season, was there a, 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 a disappointment, I guess, in the manager from the squad about not defending the championship as well as maybe could have done towards the back end? It's one, it's one of the seasons that I can't really remember much about, you know, but um, as I say, obviously the European side of things had taken a little bit of shine off our, our league campaign and we probably found it a bit difficult. As you say, we, we lost our way a little bit, you know, and, and uh, that, that was enough for, for Celtic, Celtic to go in and win the league that year. But it was, it was the desire from the manager and the hunger that he knew that, we he felt that we were good enough to take that next step and to go and get the title and and go and try and do better in European football as well, you know. And yeah. and he was looking for 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 everybody to to sort of lift up their game and and take it to the next level. And that's that's what we did. And again, for you on a personal level, though, it's a development season. Again, it's you 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 end that campaign with twenty eight appearances across all competitions, eleven of those starts, three goals to your name. At that point as well, you know, Joe Harper had, had departed. Drew Jarvie's career was was coming to an end at Aberdeen. Um, were you kind of starting to feel, right, now it's time for myself to get a starting spot alongside Mark McGee? Well, you're, you're always looking, you know, you're always looking to get a start, you know. But as I said, with the squad of players that we had and myself being a younger player coming through then, you don't know what the manager's thinking, you know, and you've just got to accept it. You know, whoever, whoever 11 starts, he feels would be the best 11 equipped to, to play the opposition for that game. And then if you were on the bench, you were always hoping that you would maybe come on at some point in the game and, and try and change the game uh, in our favour, you know. And as it is, the 1981-82 season, it's really, I guess, your breakthrough season. It's 45 appearances across all competitions, 39 starts in that. He scored 19 goals in all competitions, second only to Gordon Strachan in that season in the scoring charts. Campaign also sees you get your first goal in Europe, uh, scoring away at Portman Road in the first leg of the UEFA Cup. You play the full game as well in the return leg at Pitodre, the, the tie, which is always famous for the performance of Peter Weir that yeah, evening. Yeah, yeah. Just what do you remember about those two ties and what do you think that that result against Ipswich did for the club in terms of our confidence about holding our own against good teams in Europe and being able to progress against them. Yeah, well, again, Ipswich, top side in Europe, you know, and if you look at the players they had, it was phenomenal, you know, a lot of international quality players and it was the old Scotland-England thing as yeah. well, you know, but um, we, as I say, we believed in the squad that we had, you know, and again, this was a new challenge for us because we were playing against a side who were one of the best in Europe. You know, so 
it was going to be a, a, a real, real tough um, sort of two-legged affair to, to try and get get through, you know. But we went out to Portman Road first leg, and uh, I managed to, to sort of get a goal there off a corner kick. And we held our own, you know, we more than held our own. But we knew that the second leg was going to be equally as tough a game, you know, when you, when you look at the players that they had. But uh, on the night, as you say, it was the Peter Weir show. I mean, Peter was unbelievable that night, you know. He just he just turned McMill's inside out the whole night. Uh, he was, honestly, he was phenomenal. And uh, we managed to, to, to turn them over, you know. And I think a lot of people started to open their eyes and sit up and look, oh, wow, Aberdeen, you know, great result, and then start looking at Aberdeen, you know. So, and that was the start of the the, the, the era with, with Sir Alex. Then we really started to believe that, hold on a second, we can compete with the best in Europe, and let's just see where this goes, you know. Well, absolutely, because, I mean, for younger listeners out there who won't remember this, uh, Ipswich Town at that point are UEFA Cup holders. They, they're, yeah. they're the current reigning yeah. UEFA Cup champions at the time, and... In the second round, and, and you score in both legs against uh, Agri Piteste, uh, and then the home leg, you, you net again uh, in the famous 3-2 win over Hamburg at that point. You ended up with four goals in Europe that season, actually. Was there something about European football, you think, that suited your game? Well, <clears throat> Sir Alex used to say that, you know, like football players, you, you need to want to play in the big games, you know. And I was wasn't any bigger games than a European Wednesday night, European night, Pataudry, and then obviously going away and playing the second leg in whatever country it would be, you know. So, um, what we had is we had a squad of players that were comfortable with the ball, we could pass it to one another. And back in that days, you could pass it back to the goalkeeper as well, and he could pick it up, you know. So, when you have to stifle opposition. And and sort of keep hold of the ball, and and that was uh, that was essential when you played in Europe, you know, because you could go go away and for seventy five minutes you're thinking, oh, we're doing brilliant, this is a cruise here, and all of a sudden, Sir Alex used to say the roof would come in, it was bang bang bang, you've lost three goals in twelve minutes, and you're out of the tie, and you've maybe won the first leg two 0 so. It was so important to keep the concentration levels when you were playing, especially away from home. The concentration level had to be at the very peak, and also, as I say, keeping a hold of the ball. So when you've got the ball, the, op- the opposition can't do anything with it because they're trying to get it back off you. You know, so these were all learning curves for us. But we, we, we grew up quite quickly. You know, when you had to go and play in the continent, and yeah. uh, eventually, as, as you know, we want to do some some great things in Europe. Absolutely. I think, is it the return leg in Romania against uh, Agri Potesti? It's the return flight back to Aberdeen that has recently got some uh, attention again. I think this is the one that Ali Begg was talking about recently, where I think obviously we must have flown back and as we're approaching Aberdeen, because back in the day, of course, Aberdeen Airport had the curfew on it. If you were after 10 o'clock, you couldn't land here. And they... I think Ali tells a story. Someone on the planes told this story anyway about the fact that the, the pilot comes on and is like, ladies and gents, uh, we're really sorry. We've, we've missed a curfew. We're going to be diverted to Edinburgh. And at this point, Fergie's unbuckled his seatbelt. He's straight up into the cabin, sits back down, and then the boy's on about two minutes there. Ladies and gentlemen, you'd be pleased to know we'll be landing in Aberdeen in a few minutes. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm not really aware of that one, but um, I wouldn't surprise me. You know, I knew what the gaffer was like, you know, so if he said we're landing, we were landing. <laughs> landing under the cover of darkness, yeah. I imagine, yeah. Uh, you just touched on a bit, a bit there as well, John, the 
there's something really special about Patojri under the lights on a European night. I don't know what it is. like, And this is just me as a supporter. Mm-hmm. But as a player, is there that palpable difference between a regular Saturday 3 o'clock versus a European night? What is it that's different? I don't know. It's, a diff- it's, it's difficult to say. Obviously, you're playing against sort of the, the best sort of teams from whatever country you're playing against, you know, and these guys can all play, you know, they know how to play, they're good football players, technically good, physically strong, quick, you know, so you're competing against the best from, say, Spain or Italy or Germany or Romania or Hungary or whatever country it is, so we we felt that we had a good squad, you know, but we just had to go out there and show the fans that we were a good side and also and show it to ourselves and believe how good we were, you know, and that was, as I say, that was a, a progression from Sir Alex's first season through to where we eventually got to. How did you find matching up against the legendary Franz Beckenbauer in those two ties against Hamburg? Again, uh, I mean, as you say, <laughs> Franz Beckenbauer, one of the all-time greats in, uh, in European football, but when we played... These guys, we showed them all the utmost respect, but at the end of the day, it was just a name. He was another player. They had 11 players. We had 11 players. And we believed in our 11, you know, and we felt that we would go out there and give them a real go and, and see what we could do. And, and that was the case. You know, we, we weren't scared of them. You know, obviously yeah. we showed them the respect, but we, we were out there to do a job and that's what we did. I love that attitude. I think there's, I think there's like, too much of that missing now, I think, actually, sometimes when proceed smaller teams play bigger teams. I think there's a lot, there's almost too much respect in a way, you know. Um, you look back to a lot of what that team that you played and, you know, what it achieved in Europe, but also the way that it fronted up against these types of players, like you say, showing respect, but showing absolutely no fear about what yeah. we could do as well. It, it, you know, I, I do think in the, in the game now, I think there's a little bit too much the other way um, with things. The European dream obviously comes to an end uh, that season in Germany. Hamburg eventually running out 3-1 winners at home. But again, we've just touched on it. Competed well against some top teams, always learning from these defeats. 23rd of January, 1982. Perhaps one of the most significant dates in Aberdeen's history. If not the most, with the exception of that glorious day in May, 1983. A Scottish Cup, third round tie at Fir Park, settled by one goal, a historic goal by your fine self as you net past Hughes Pro after just... 9.6 9.6 seconds, still to this day the fastest ever goal in Scottish Cup history. Your memories of the goal itself? Uh, yeah, I do remember it. You know, we, we took centre and I was knocked out wide to Stuart Kennedy. Stuart played a sort of high diagonal ball uh, towards the sort of inside left channel and I just managed to get onto it as quick as a flash, one touch, and then fired a shot right across the yeah, Hughes Sprout to the far corner. And I managed to, to bag it, you know, and that was it. Because at that side, at that time, Motherwell were a really good side, albeit they were a, a division below us, but they were strong opposition, you know, and it was a really, really tough game that day. Little did we know that that was going to be the only goal of the game, you know, but um, it turned out to be, and it also let, led on, which I'm sure you know, <laughs> to, to better things that season. Exactly. Definitely. I was just going to touch on, though, see when Adam Rooney scored in the semi-final against Hibs a couple of years back after about, well, it was 12 seconds like there. Were you checking the stopwatch a no, wee bit? We no. got worried. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I was, I knew it was, uh, it wasn't as quick as my one, but it was still a really quick goal. But I, I just knew that it wasn't a uh, 9.6. Not there, not there. And of course, we've just touched on it. That, that goal sets off 
a chain reaction of events that leads us all the way to Gothenburg 16 months later. We'll come on to that in due course, obviously. But the Dons then come through by a goal to nil against Celtic in the following round. Um, yourself with the only goal in that game. Before seeing off Kilmarnock in the quarterfinals, eventually beating St. Marin in the semi-final after replay at Dens, just the 48th anniversary of that the other day. Um, I saw this being this being talked about again. Um, to book a spot at Hamden in May against Rangers. Now, the week before the final, Aberdeen thumped Rangers 4-0 up Tawdry, as you notch a hat-trick. Um, the Dons trying to overhaul Celtic at the top of the table on the final day. It's not to be Celtic uh, winning against St. Mirren to stop us potentially winning the league that year. But in the build-up to the cup final itself, what are your memories of that build-up? This is, of course, your first major final as a professional. Yeah, um, it was one of these things, you know, Sir Alex had us, uh, we used to go down and, and train at the, the lads club pitches, you know, right down Woodside. Aye, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, the junior club used to play at the very back pitch, you know, it was sort of fenced off. So we used to go down there the week of the, the, the Scottish Cup games and we would train, do a little bit of training there. Uh, I remember going up to Cruden Bay. We did a, bit, a little bit of tra- training up there. We had, I think it was on the Tuesday or a Wednesday, where we played the little nine-hole course and in, in, inside the big course as well, you know. So it was, it was just trying to uh, prepare us properly and try and keep us away from the media and such, and try and keep it as low key as possible. So um, because we, I think he knew. Come Friday, Saturday, you know, heading down to, to Glasgow on the Friday, and the the nerves and everything would be starting to build up prior to the game itself, you know. But with a great, great um, build up for the week, you know, everything was sort of low key and with a good laugh, and uh, then obviously the game itself was uh, well. At the end of the day, the, the result was correct for us on the day. Absolutely. Do you think you had to set these all down a wee bit in that week as well, given you've just thumped them four 0 the week before? Just to make sure there's not that little bit of overconfidence, you know. Yeah, we we knew that the cup final was going to be a completely different game, you know. The the, the league game before it was in our, our patch, you know, and obviously, as you say, we beat them four 0 But um, the cup final was a completely different game. We actually went behind, you know, um, and then big Alec equalised, you know. So um, it was the belief, you know, it was the belief that we had as a group of players and also the manager and and installed that belief that we were uh, better than Rangers and Celtic and and that was the thing you know and we knew even with setbacks we had to keep sticking together on the park keep working for each other and uh, although it took us uh, over 90 minutes to get the result you know uh, the end of the result was quite emphatic you know and we ran out comfortable winners absolutely just on that week before again just really quickly a hatch against Rangers for a boyhood Aberdeen fan that's that must have been quite a nice feeling yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always nice to score any type of goal, but especially teams like Rangers and Celtic, you know. Um, and uh, I think because it was prior to the cup final as well, you know, it was it was nice as well to get a hard trick. But uh, yeah, always nice to score a hard trick against the old firm. Definitely, if you can, uh, the, the cup final itself. Just put into words for us because I've never done it, and I'll be honest, my playing days are past me now. The feeling of walking out at Hamden Park representing your club in a Scottish Cup final against one of the old firm. Oh, yes, it's it's phenomenal. You know, you get the butterflies and uh, you're standing sort of on, on the, the pitch and they're lining up, you know, meeting the, the dignitaries and that. And uh, you, 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 you actually feel you do get a little bit emotional, you know, because you're just 
you're just raring to go, you know, you just can't wait for the game to go. And at the same time, you know, that was one of the things with Sir Alex, he was trying to keep you calm and up because a lot of the time, some some guys could get so sort of caught up in the atmosphere and the, uh, the, the, the adrenaline levels would just go and you, you would end up seeing guys taking cramp, you know, maybe after 60, 70 minutes of a game. So he knew, you know, he wanted to try and keep everybody sort of quite calm and relaxed as as, as, as possible. So come match day, we were ready and ready to go out there and give her all. And as you say, hey, we all know how this one ends. Come back from a goal down, we eventually win it 4-1 after extra time. Tatty's thumping finish on the goal line caps it all off. If you had to substitute any of your goals you ever scored in your career, would it be for that one that Tatty scores? Oh, I'm trying to think. No, I, I listen. I was just, I was just, just for Neil. You know, obviously, he was, he was, uh, he was my closest friend at the football club, and um, sadly, he's obviously no longer with us. But um, he, he was a real character. But it was great. You know, he followed the ball through. Uh, Peter, I think it was Peter McCloy. McCloy yeah. Blasted it against him. You know, and it was there, and it was right in front of goal. And, <laughs> He just ran on there and blasted it in the goal and so I did a sort of forward roll and he was giving the first <laughs> punk to the Rangers fans and that. So uh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant and thoroughly deserved. Yeah, a schoolboy's dream that one, isn't it? A yard out, yeah. can't he miss it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. That's the type of goals you love scoring, you know, the empty goal and you can't miss. Well, because he so, has the but, time as well, doesn't he? Running into yeah. kind of almost savour it. It's not that right. instinctive finish. It's, it's, it's there, you know, the, the goal line's there and he just sort of looks up and he just goes and blasts it in the empty net. And as I say, just the forward roll at the side of the goal. And <laughs> it was great, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Talk to us, John, if you can, about your emotions, getting on, getting your hands on your first trophy as a professional footballer. Yeah, as I say, you know, that day it was just like, it's, it's, it's things about you dream about, you know, just getting to a, a cup final and, and winning, especially at the national stadium, you know, with a, with a great Aberdeen support down, albeit we knew that the Rangers would have the majority of the, the fans in the stadium, you know, but again, down to the, the, the players and the belief that we had, that we, we knew if we stick together, and did what we, sh- what we could do properly that we were capable of beating Rangers, you know. I think they feared us more than than we feared them, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had still had to go and produce the goods, and we did it. And talk to us as well about the celebrations that evening, which, as I recall, included some party time with Bert Lancaster at Glen Eagles. That's right, yeah, Bert Lancaster was in the hotel. Um, there was quite a few of us were outside the front door with the Scottish Cup, getting my picture taken with him as well, you know. So it was great. Yeah, and, that, and it, was, it was something that um, we just expected, to, you know, later on. That was our first taste of success. And, and then it, sort of, it drove you on to get more and more and more, you know. And mm-hmm. as a group, we wanted it, you know. And if you didn't want it, Sir Alex would have... He would have sold you on or, or let you go or whatever, you know. He he was only interested in guys that were winners, you know. And as I say, we had a great, great squad of boys there. And uh, that was it, the, the, the sort of start of the success, which will lead on to bigger and even better things, you know, with the football club. Of course. Winning the 81-82 Scottish Cup, it sees Aberdeen take our place in the 1982-1983 European Cup Winners' Cup. And this seems like an ideal place to wrap up part one of our discussion with you, John. We'll let you get off to watch the final round of the Masters. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your time. We'll soon be back to revisit the journey to Gothenburg and then all the other successes that followed afterwards. We'll see you soon for part two. Super. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 43. 43, guys. Can you believe it? No. Can't believe it's almost over. I mean, it's not even 43, really. It's more than 43 because there's the mini pause, which aren't really many, but hey, there we go. The season is over. That's why I meant they're not the podcast. Yeah. We are. We will be back next year. Whether you like it or not. By popular or unpopular demand. We're not even going anywhere. We're not even going to take a break over close season, are we? What? What? <laughs> Didn't sign up for that. Hey, listen. If, if Craig keeps us in beers, we'll keep going. Um, <laughs> yeah, but of course, next week we'll be reviewing the fixture with Hibs at Easter Road and then preview the final two matches with the, the Saints of the Perth and Paisley variety. So we'll bring you all of our usual coverage of the women's team and the young team before we round things off with part two of our exclusive in-depth conversation with John Hewitt. And given that this episode will go out on Gothenburg Day itself, the 11th of May, what other topic could we cover but the historic 1982-83 campaign? We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, Flexley engineering experts for the global energy sectors. MDL's rental fleet raises the bar for innovative design, technical performance and reliability. The market-leading equipment is backed by in-house expertise in design, engineering and offshore operations, which makes them the safest choice for project success. Get in touch at maritimedevelopments.com to find out how they can help you secure that competitive advantage.